Byron Bowers, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, what's going on? What's up, brother? Good man. to see you, man. What's Thank you for having me. My pleasure. What's the latest and the greatest with Byron? You've been traveling all over the place, man. I check your Instagram out. Uh, man, I just got back from the Dominican Republic. Uh, what, um, a few days ago, and uh, it was a very interesting experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like anytime you go somewhere tropical, you like, man, this place is beautiful. And then by that third day, you be like, man, this is, this is horrible. The politics, the way they treat people. Oh yeah. So you see the balance of. You know, everything, especially as a, you know, uh, being from where I'm from and being black and what's going on. I'm always in exotic places when cops are killing black people. So it pulls you out of the situation and it lets you see how, you know, fucked up things are for, like, Haitian people. Well, yeah, I mean, pretty much every third world country deals with all kinds of fucked up shit. Yeah. Like, way worse than we have it here. It puts things into perspective. Like, I often think, like... If if United States wasn't established just a few hundred years ago, if that didn't happen, like what would the world be like? Like what would most of the world be like a lot of these countries that you visit where you deal with insane police corruption? Like I've I've had friends that have been pulled over in Mexico and you know the 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 cops basically just straight up tell you like do you want to get out of this? Give me some fucking money. Yeah. I think I had a situation like that uh, coming through TSA, but I didn't realize until they let me go. But they held me for a long time. Where? Uh, in Dominican Republic, because I had on a button-up shirt that's denim, like the one I'm wearing now. And they was like, take your jacket off. And I'm pre-checked. So when you become pre-checked, it's like a white privilege. And I'm like, I'm not taking off my sh- This is not a jacket. This is a shirt. So in the Dominican Republic, yeah. you're doing this? And I'm fly- I got on glasses and stuff and... And they was like, oh, okay. Oh, it's a shirt, huh? Come through. And then as soon as I came through, they was like, this your bag? And he started trying to take my cologne. Like, yeah, that's flammable. You can't take that on the plane. Or my umbrella. Yeah, you can't take umbrellas on the plane. That's a weapon. Sorry. And they just held me there. And we just made eye contact with each other. I'm like, show me on the chart. That's all I kept saying. And then after a while, they was like, you know what? You could take it. You know, so after a while they just gave up. Yeah, they gave up because I was like, okay, if I check the bag, can I take everything? And they was like, yeah. So what I did, I unloaded all my bags and start rearranging things so I could put it, so I could check it and right. they can make it back to America. But once they saw me doing that and they saw how neat I was and like every time they touched something, I had to put it back a certain way. They was like, this is just gonna be a waste of time for even us. Yeah, but did the, don't they have rules like we have rules as far as like how many ounces of liquid and stuff like that you could take on a plane? They do, but they made it over there. So that's why I was trying to get them to explain to me, like, why exactly? Yeah, but it probably made it over there because the people that work at TSA over here are fucking barely paying attention. Well, you know, I take it everywhere. I take it everywhere. Well, how big is your uh, cologne? First of all, cologne's stinky, man. We we wearing that shit. I love, I love it. What I know you, you disagree with cologne, you know what I mean? <laughs> I disagree. Yeah, you disagree. It's a political point. Yeah. I disagree with cologne. You more alpha though. You know what I mean? You could choke them out with your muscles, and I could choke them with the smell. Um. <laughs> okay. I'm not exactly sure where to go with that. But so, how big is the uh, cologne that you probably bring like on? three point something ounces? Okay. See, so I think you could bring on like four ounces of liquid. Yeah. Isn't that how it works? Yep. Using a toiletry bag. Yeah, it was in a toiletry bag. Now, mind you, I just I, can, I went from Montreal too. So I'm mm-hmm. from Montreal, from New York to Montreal, 
here to the Dominican Republic. So this same luggage has been like everywhere. Mm. So what were you doing down Dominican Republic? Uh, I met up with some friends of mine from college, some African homeboys, and I really hopped in on their trip because they visit the DR a lot, and I wanted to see what it was like. And I snorkeled a lot. Like, I came back sore. But, yeah, I did a lot of time in the water, morning, evening, and, like, late afternoon. Well, it's beautiful for that. Yeah. That's one of the cool things about those tropical climates. The uh, the oceans down there are amazing. The ocean is amazing. Some of the, the reefs wasn't as, you know, not like when I was in Jamaica or when I, like, in Hawaii, where everything just comes alive and it looks like yeah. a city. But it definitely, you do feel like you landed on another planet. To me, and you're, and I'm flying like I'm cruising over, you know, the terrain. You mean when you're f- swimming? When I swim, yeah. yeah. Anytime I snorkel, like it's that it's that other world experience to me. Yeah, man, I'm a big fan of the water, but pff, the sharks fuck it up for me. Yeah, I'm just not into getting eaten. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Why sometimes I keep looking around, like um, especially if it's not a lot of things in the water. Uh, but I saw squid. That was the most beautiful thing I saw from this trip was just, like, 40 baby squid all lined up in a row um, that looked like they'd just been born, you know, po po po, And they were just there. And I didn't even know they were squid. I thought it was, like, fish with interesting fins because it looked like, you know, like a lady just doing her dress like that. Mm-hmm. And when I got close, I, could, I realized that I was at the tentacle part. Uh, and I just locked eyes with them. And I was like, oh, this is the most beautiful thing. Do you know Duncan Trussell? Yeah. Duncan has this uh, new virtual reality thing. It's uh, a virtual, it's called the HTV Vive. And uh, you, you put it on and you you actually feel like you're underwater. They have this program, cause I think it's called Deep Blue or something like that, something blue. Um, but you put it on and one of the uh, reality programs that you put on is a, an ocean one. And you're standing at the bottom of this, like ocean area and these fish swim by and it's it's not a hundred percent realistic because the graphics aren't totally there yet yeah but it's like 85 percent realistic and that's a, amazing a whale pulls up to you and you get to look at the whale like you look in its eyes but like i don't know if you ever used any kind of virtual reality i'm pretty new to it too yeah but you get a full 360 degrees. Like, you can look down, you can look up, you can look everywhere. So this whale, as it's in front of you, you could choose different spots on the whale that you look at. You can look at its eyes, you can look at its tail. It's fucking fascinating. And it lets you know that, you know, within 100 years from now, probably not even, probably like 20, within 20 years from now, oh, this is it? Is this the program? So this is it right here. So... You you stand there and you're looking around like that dude's just looking around with these goggles on. Yeah. And this is what you're seeing. I mean, you're seeing it feels like the actual ocean. Yeah, that's uh, that's basically what it that's basically what it looks and feel like. You know, uh, that's beautiful right there. It's crazy that that's what is it like, seventy nine percent of the Earth or something like that. Is yeah. Well, we looked it up the other day. It was uh, over seventy percent. Of the Earth is water, and ninety-five percent of that is ocean water. That's amazing. Yeah. It's almost like how they say our bodies are made up of the same. Not quite. I think a body is like sixty percent. They used to say it was like ninety percent water. See, find out what that is. I think the, the human body is actually like sixty percent water. Something like that. Maybe. 
But I, I've, I've, I've experienced virtual reality, uh, the one where you could just travel everywhere around the world. 65. Average human bodies between 50 and 65% water, averaging around 57 to 60%. Average percentage of water in infants is much higher, typically around 75 to 78% water. Huh. That makes sense. Dropping to 65 by one year of age. The little water balloons. It's probably why the skin gets crazy, like the older we get, the water is dropping in it. The right. water's dropping in it? Yeah. Man. Like they said, the percentage goes down the older you get. Oh, man, you're probably just drinking too much. Or get wrinkles and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that's actually collagen. That's uh, that's the wrinkle thing is the elasticity of your skin gives out. Your, your body stops producing collagen correctly. But you you can mitigate some of that with, like, moisture and, you know, like some people use creams and shit like that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, time time wins. Time wins. I definitely use creams. I use creams. Do you? Creams I use lotion and cologne. You I use yeah. I use everything. lotion. Yeah, all things that stink. All things. Well, I can't use I can't use dyes and perfumes in my lotions. How come? It it makes my it dries my skin out, make it break out. Perfumes in lotions, but you can wear cologne. Yeah, I wear cologne. Cologne Wait. lasts a certain amount of hours, mm. and it lands on your skin. So you know. Look at you. You should be a cologne commercial. You yeah, know. it lands on your skin so delicately. <laughs> Have you always worn cologne? Uh no. Well, once I got into it. My my mom, like I was raised by my mom, like our sense of smell was just so strong, you know. So it was always fragrance around, and to me, that's the first like that that can alter your your mindset or your mode, like when you smell something good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's an anchor. It like can cause like a like a mental trigger. Yeah, like it brings you back to that place. Like certain smells, like the smell of apple pie. If your mom cooked apple pie or something like that, you could smell it and it'll immediately transport you back to that good place. Yeah, or bad place. Or bad place. Like yeah, like I like like sexy smells. So I like to be reminded of something that's pleasant. Like a woman walks by. Sexy smells. Yeah, you know so. I don't wear like hardcore masculine smell. I like the smell like a, a rose. Like you a, like to smell like a rose. I like to smell like something fresh, like that. You know, <laughs> I'm learning a lot about you, yeah. Byron. Like, yeah, it takes me two <laughs> hours to pick out my fragrance. You know what I mean? What? Oh, hold on. It takes you two hours to pick out your fragrance. Yeah. Is this in a day or like when you go to a fragrance store? When I when I went to the fragrance store. So you're that dude just wandering around there touching this one. Yeah, smelling it. Yeah, you, and, it, and if I don't get like a small like erection, like a little erection, then a little erection. Yeah, like if it don't turn me on in a sense, then I just it's not the one. Huh? But you know it, just like you know, like when you feel the energy of a lady, or you know whatever you're attracted to, or the sound of a motor when it goes by. You know what I mean? Well, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah, they've said that on with engines, it actually like when you hear an engine revving, it actually raises men's testosterone. But why? I wonder why. It's a. Uh, it's like I don't know. For anybody ever driven a car with pipes, which is rare in California to have custom pipes. But you think it's rare? Yeah, to be like for as far as like loud and those fucking things are everywhere. Really? Yeah, they crack down on them here. It's not like in Georgia. Like I'm from Georgia, where you could, oh you can get a Honda and put. And open the exhaust. Uh, have a quarter inch and take the stuff off. You know? Yeah. See, that's stupid. If you got a Honda, yeah, you shouldn't do that. If you have a four cylinder, that's awful. I did that before, but <laughs> my friend had a Cobra Mustang '68, uh, and you can hear that car coming down the street. But when you hear it in a real car with a real motor, it's almost like a like a t- 
tiger growling or something, or it's just an energy you want to release when you press the gas. It's yeah. Like, you know? So that, it, it makes you, it just does something to you. What's little explosions? I mean, it's control explosions, essentially. I mean, that's what an engine is, right? It's just the steel explosion container. Yeah. And all these pistons are in there, and they're all firing. I don't know. I, I, as much as I know about cars, I really should know more about, like, how engines work. Like, I really don't know that much. I kind of know there's some, oh, you got to have camshafts, and you got to have some yeah. cylinders, and there's uh, spark plugs, and ignite some shit, and there's some fire explosions going off. I don't really know. No, you know more about me when it comes to cars. I know the simple. Like, fuel, air, and spark gets it going. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. The simplicity of it. But you're into cars, too. You know, I like them, many man. car conversations. I definitely like them, but I can't get into wheel displacements and, and like offsets and the correct suspension and the steering. You don't know about all that stuff? No. No? I just know what I like, like body shapes and what it feels like. But don't you enjoy like what it feels like when you drive them? Like, yeah. Like you have a nice car. When you drive that thing, like, you know, like it has like a certain feel to the way like when you turn corners and stuff like that yeah. there's a certain responsiveness to it yeah that's true I definitely know that but it's not I can't dial it in I can't put that in a computer and be like mm. you know like I need my suspension adjusted should I go with this coilover set or this coilover set well that's the beautiful thing about the internet you know like yeah. you, you have a BMW so you can go to a BMW forum and then you can say you know what is the deal with uh, this year uh, 3 series like uh, what's the best suspension setup, you know, for handling and some some people like comfort, some people like handling. Yeah, that's the real trade-off. It's because if you really want the car to sit flat around corners, it has to have a little more stiffness, stiffness to it. To it yeah, feel everything a little, little bit more. And I feel that, and I like that. Like I had a nine four four, an eighty three, which to me ain't the best, but it was the best car I've owned. Those Porsches are sweet, man. Yeah. Those are underrated cars. To be able to feel a car, to feel the road do this, like you're on a boat, mm -hmm. is amazing. And a lot of cars don't give you that feeling. The boat feeling. Yeah, like you know the street is uneven when you mm -hmm. drive it now. Instead of just, no matter, the flattest, most paved street, you know, you could feel the the, the wave in it. Oh, because you must have had a pretty stiff suspension, right? Yeah, that car came like that, though. Yeah, well, those older cars were way more responsive. They were way lighter, too. Like, if you go to, like, the, the really older Porsches, like the old 911s, like the long hood models, I think it was, like, 65 or 64, I think it was, to 73, those models, they're really light. Like, that's a 2,000-pound car yeah. a lot of times. So you feel everything when you bump it around those things. Yeah, it feels more like a go-kart, you know? And I was ignorant with mine. Like, I had to buy tires for it, and they was like, uh, it's 83, and I'm like, it's 150 horses. I take it to the tire place. They was like, yeah, you need these $150 tires. And I'm like, no, fuck that. This car has only got 150 horses. Let's put some van tires on it, you know? And I bought two, like, four brand-new van tires. What's a van tire? Like, like for tires a van? that would go on a van. Why would you do that? Because, to me, it's just a tire. Oh, that's ridiculous. Slide, slid on the freeway a bunch of times, just stopping. And wasn't used to a, uh, not having ABS, automatic brakes. And every time I would stump the the gas, the brakes, you know, the car would slide on the freeway. But I would stop in enough distance to where it slide and not hit the car. So you had analog brakes? Or no, you didn't? I didn't. I you didn't, didn't have, have it. Mm -mm. What kind of car was this? Uh, 944. Those didn't have analog brakes? Nope. Not wow. an 83. That didn't come to like 86. Hmm. Wow. 
and you put van tires on. Jesus yep. Christ, dude. That's a sacrilege. That's terrible. It was. It was. But you learn lessons, you know. <laughs> you learn lessons. Anytime you work on your car, is cool, but you learn your lessons. You learn about torque, torque, applying torque to old cars and plastic pieces breaking. Yeah. And all type of stuff that, you know, what antifreeze tastes like. You what? Know? You know what antifreeze tastes yeah. like? Yeah. What are you drinking antifreeze for? You, you don't drink it, but you haven't be working on a, a leak or changing like uh, something and it, it drips and it gets in your mouth and you're uh. like, oh, I get it. It is sweet. It's like Kool-Aid almost. Does it really taste like Kool-Aid? Yeah. I, would, I have no idea. It looks disgusting. Antif- yeah. Antifreeze looks nasty. It looks like uh, like like nuclear f- Waste. fuel or something. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, you learn your lessons with cars, you know. Why you still can. Those old ones, yeah, they're different. You know, you can actually work on them. You can open up the hood. There's stuff you can change. You can swap out. You can go to Pet Boys or whatever yeah. and buy a part. New cars, man, you open up the hood, and it's just like a computer. It's like opening up the back of a iMac or something. Yeah, that's like, true. You have no idea what the fuck's going on there. And everything's connected to some sort of, uh, you know, a computer management computer. system. So, yeah. Three. Three in, in the Beamer is three. Three what? Three computers. Really? Yeah. Uh, the ignition switch, when you put the key in, talks to this module, and rec- reads the key code, and it talks back and allows the car to crank. But all that have to go through the main computer also. Wow. And so- I know that because I know coding, and I studied engineering for, to my senior year, and I had to, um, I had to snatch a remote start system, faulty remote start system out of the Beamer when I got it. So I had to go under the dash and rewire everything. You did all that? Yeah. Wow. Why'd you do that? To take it out. But you did you know what you were doing? What what made you decide to embark on that? That seems like something I would want to take to a dealer. Well, my, I learned how to do install car stereos. Oh. My friend, when I was younger, he used to steal car radios, and he taught me. <laughs> Three basic things to start a radio. Just like the cars. You know, power, uh, ground. You could turn the radio on and the remote wire, which makes it switch on and off. But you really don't need a remote wire to test a radio. Just like you got a jump start an engine, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, you start to learn the pattern of things. Just like the universe have patterns. When you learn combustion and stuff like that, you just the pattern is what's important to me. That makes sense? No. The universe has a pattern, and yeah, like so the does... universe. Because now I'm on right. a bigger pattern scale, you know. Right. What I mean? But to me, yeah, the universe has a pattern the way it runs. To me, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean, when it comes to seasons and things like that, the revolution of Earth around the sun, you know. But uh, stereos also have that pattern. <laughs> That's an interesting comparison. Well, they definitely have, like, whenever you're dealing with electronics, you have to have the power in the ground, and then there's a bunch of other stuff that goes on. I, I installed some stereos when I was younger, you know, but, but they were easy back then. It wasn't that hard. You know, there wasn't that, it wasn't that complicated. You get to everything pretty easily. You get yeah. up the dash pretty easily, pull out the existing stereo, and you just have to figure out where the power is and where the wires connect. You, you tie everything up. It's, it wasn't that hard. But I would never fuck with a new car. Like... You know, like a new Lexus or something like that, try to take stereo out of one of those things? It's more tough, but if I break it down to you like this, coding and stuff is all if-and statements, right? If-and. If-ands. So if this, go there. Yeah. If that, go, go here. here. Right. Ones and zeros. Right. If it's one, boom, here. If it's zero, boom, here. Right. And it's just a bunch of that going on. Right. Computing at one time. 
that's the pattern. Right. You know. That's it? That's how simple. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's more complicated than that, right? Well, There's yeah. There's a lot going on. But it's a bunch of those all in one. Well, it's, it's amazing how well these cars work when you really think about it because, like, um, like I have a Lexus, and uh, I have a key that is actually in my wallet. It's a credit card, and that's my key. So I don't ever take a key. I just get in my car, and it always knows it's me. I come near it. The light goes on near the side mirrors. Like, the side mirrors have, like, an underside light. The light goes on. The handle illuminates to let you know you're there. It opens for you. You get in. You just press start and go. It's crazy how often it works. Like, it never fucks up. Yeah, and that's cool. It is cool, but it's just when you think about how many different things fail in terms of, like, electronics. Yeah. You know, like, how many different people's iPhones start fucking up. Most cars, especially when it comes to, like, your car, German engineering or Japanese engineering, something like that, they're so fucking reliable. I mean, the the amount of times that they actually do fuck up is... People complain about it, but it's pretty small in yeah, comparison. Yeah, that's true. Well, I was in school, and I learned uh, and studied in 95, when it came to Lexus and Honda, the car were pretty much perfect. Mm-hmm. So they had to add features. So now if you notice where everything is about the features and less about, you know... And it's a cycle of cars having more power and cars saving gas and mm-hmm. cars having more power. That's just a pattern that's just going to happen. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's all about the features now. Even with phones, it's all about the features. Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, with new cars, too, this is like you have to have apps and all sorts of different things that your car can do. Yeah. But those older cars, the one of the, well, the interesting thing is how long some of them last. Like, I have a friend who has a Lexus who has a million miles on it. It's a million miles. Is it a GS300? I don't remember what model it is. Yeah. It's, um, it's one big, of the older, bigger ones. Yeah, the big one. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the one that's supposed to be an asset car. Asset car. Yeah, like it's going to appreciate. Really? Because, yeah, you know, the foreign cars are just now like starting to appreciate versus the old American cars. Well, you mean foreign, like Japanese, because like German cars have always kind of appreciated, right? Like Porsches. And- well, yeah, Porsches and stuff like that. But as far as like the little like, yeah, Japanese cars and like the Lexus. Well, you know what's really appreciating now, it's kind of interesting, is those old Nissan Skylines. Yeah. The ones that became the GTRs. When yeah. You, you know, you look at a GTR now, it it's very different looking. It's very spaceship looking, but the older ones are kind of like more retro and kind of cool looking. But the oldest ones now are starting to become, like, really valuable. Yeah, like the early 90s and, and late 80s. Yeah, it's just high, hard to find one that's not molested because a yeah. lot of people took them and they, they did shit to the fenders and they fucked with this and fucked with that. Yeah, I just told a chick about that the other day. We was talking about cars, and I was like, yeah, it's hard to find something. If you could find one that's not been molested. She was like, what? And I had to explain to her what molested was and what retard was and what tranny is what to, retard? Yeah, for a car? Yeah, what, like when it, it don't turn over, it's like when it don't move forward, like something's holding it back. Uh huh. Yeah, you call that a retard? Yeah, it's retard. It's like, oh. like if you try to turn the car and it won't turn over. Oh, it's know. like retarded. Like yeah. it's slow. Yeah, like mm. it won't. It won't turn. Oh, okay. And then mostly use it like the Euro Europeans <clears throat> use it most of the time. Do they really? They yeah. use it like a, as an, a standard term? Yeah, like if you read some of the blogs and stuff, it's like. You know, it's amazing. Do you read blogs on cars? 
Yeah, like when I, cause I work on my car myself. So yeah, anytime you uh, trying to diagnose a problem, it's more reading than going actually going out to figure out what it is. That's interesting. So you read all that kind of stuff, but you don't read up about like suspensions or different tire offsets or anything like that. Or no, how come? I don't know. I think uh, I don't. I really never really uh, what they call souped the car up or modified it too much. You know. So everything I get, I usually just ride basic with it, and I can have fun with that. Because mm-hmm. I'm not a high-end horsepower guy. I just need it to be quick and, like, turn and handle well. And I just live dangerously within that, you know. You live dangerously within, yeah, within those, those parameters? Those lines, yeah. <laughs> well, those, those cars, like, you know, you have a BMW 3 Series. Like, those cars, they're handle, they handle great anyway. Like, my friend Eddie bought one of those a few years back, and he had before that, like, an old shitty Bronco. And when he got that uh, BMW 3 Series, he was like, oh, my God, man. He goes, I like driving now. He goes, I never knew that driving was actually fun. Yeah. Like, I would go, he would go, he goes, uh, I would take Mulholland just for fun. Like, just decide, I'm going to take it this way, yeah. even though it's longer. Just go, you know. I took, I was in Topanga, like, last month with the car. The rotors are, the rotors are warped now. Pure warped. And, Your uh, rotors are warped? My, my rotors are warped. From what? From just braking and, like, just driving fast. On Topanga? On Topanga. How many times did you do it? That day, just, I was filming something, like a documentary, and I went hard that day. But it was already warped before I went that day. You were filming a documentary in your car? Yeah. What are you doing? Um, Somebody was, you know, doing a documentary on, on creating how comedians create content. And I was showing them, like, how how I get inspired and what gets me in the mood. And the car is one of those things, you know. Because when you talk about, like, a set, you're talking about engineering, so kind of, you know, and putting you things together. a comedy set? Yeah. yeah. And um, just the balance between uh, the left and right brain, the logic side and the creative side, and the balance between the two. Because my style is basically that balance, you know. Oh, you don't know. Well, I'm 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 trying to get so uh, you get this by driving. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean driving is something that's that's beautiful. I took them to a junkyard also because the death of a car and the rebirth of parts when you need it. You know the life and death, the yin and yang of that. And the, I took them to Topanga Canyon because I did LA, I did acid in Topanga. <laughs> and it's a good place to do acid. Yeah. So at one part, when kind you, of unoriginal though. A lot of acid going on in Topanga. <laughs> yeah. So when you when you out there, you got nature, right? And then when you turn to the street, you have all these sports cars. You know, which is beautiful. You got a man-made creation that also has life to it. I see how you're looking at me there. No, I'm just trying to follow you. Yeah. I get it. I get what you're saying. So we filmed, and I took traction control off, and it was four of us in that little car, and we just slid around a, cor- a corner, and uh, those guys were scared, you know. Yeah, you were sliding. Yeah. It was, on a residential street. They should be kind of nervous. They was a little nervous, and I was a little nervous, but that <laughs> what made it fun, you know. We did that together. Yeah, that's tricky, though, because that's kind of a lot of people driving to Panga. Yeah. And that's what adds to the the edginess of it. Just like my set, you know, it's that line. You could call that edginess. Yeah. Or irresponsible on public roads, you could call it that. Yeah, but I don't, you know, once you get into that, that's like trying to figure out the offset of a tire, you know what I mean? What do you mean? 
those little details. Little details of what's fucking dangerous in yeah. there? That's not, that's not a little detail. When you slide in sideways on a, a residential road, that one, you think that's a little detail? Yeah. That, that, that could be the difference between, you know, a uh, man that was close and, like, somebody called 911, you know? Uh, yeah, that's irresponsible, right? Isn't it? No. It's, no, it's, it's fine. It's edge. It's no edgy. worries. Just edgy. Yeah. Just a little sliding around, losing control of your car around. on public roads. No big deal. It's yeah. like when you we would be at high school at parties and, like, a, a gun would come out. Oh, Jesus. And you thought the party was fun, but when that pistol came out, that's when real excitement happens. <laughs> In high school, dudes were pulling guns out of your parties? Yeah. Like, the par- a party wasn't good unless the cops showed up. Jesus Christ. So, yeah, if the cops didn't show up, it was all right. And so when guns were getting pulled out, what were they getting pulled out for? Uh, people probably was arguing about something. Simple. How many times did you see this? Uh, not a lot of times. It just what happened. It just what happened regularly, like, you know, at the nightclubs, when you start going to nightclubs. Yeah. Um, these things will happen, you know? Yeah, what do you think about all this shit lately? That it seems like every couple of days there's some sort of a mass shooting. Well, the the, the problem with being a a, a, a black guy from the, those areas in your 30s, that's just what happens. You know what I mean? So, um, but in your 20s, any man really to me in the 20s is more fight. It's like that military, like, we're not going to take this. Yada, 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 but, you know, and I can imagine, like, I be imagining sometimes, I look at it in a funny way, like, to my grandmother, this is nothing. You know what I mean? Because they would, like, hang people and, and throw them over the bridge in the county where she's from and shoot them with shotguns for for fun. So this is like, you know, to me in her mind, she's like, oh, they they need an excuse now. Well, who was doing this? What do you mean? Like they were throwing people, hanging people over bridges, shooting them for fun? Yeah, because I'm from the South, so things are a little, you know, a little old school sometimes. It's not that long ago when certain things happen, you know. Like Jim Crow and, like, these things aren't that old. Like, you still hear the stories. You're 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 brought up, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say racist, but you're brought up to, like, these people are the enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, or be careful when you're on that side of town or like they say, you might not come back home when you leave the house. So what you're talking about is white people doing fucked up shit to black people like the, this was something that was so common that it was just talked about all the time. Yeah. 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 And you still had nice people, you know, um, it's an honesty in it that I don't see anywhere else because when I got out here, people act like racism didn't exist and it affected comedy like three years ago. You know, who the fuck was acting like racism didn't exist? People would be like, "Oh, it's not. Come on, it's not that bad." Or who was saying that? People would say that it's not that bad. Like, yeah, it like exist. It, those. Like we don't. Well, people love to say that there's no racism because Obama's black. Yeah, that's hilarious. That's one of my favorite ones. Yeah, like people, and I was like, "Well, I'm still shell shocked." But I, my situation is different because I was treated unfair within my own community. Then I left my community. You know, like, I had the whole light skin, dark. My sister light skin, fair skin. I'm dark skin. You know. So you were treated poorly within your own community yeah, was, because your skin's too dark. Well, I was, because of that one thing, and you know, single mother being looked upon differently, and we're in the Bible Belt, so it's a lot of like not having nice clothes and bullying. Right. And then I got sent to a white school, 
where I was spat at my first year, you know what I mean? So to me, it was like, this whole this whole world is crazy, you know? Yeah. That's a weird thing, isn't it? The, the, the racism inside the black community between light-skinned and dark-skinned people. Well, it is until you go to, like, Brazil and you see, um, uh, are they all Brazilian and see the racism amongst Brazilians or... You know, you I I started hanging out with other cultures and start seeing the uh, separation within other cultures and seeing that that what I call a pattern of just human behavior. Well, there's definitely a pattern in human behavior yeah. trying to find groups that they belong to and then alienating, isolating themselves yeah. from the other groups. Yeah, that's a that's an unfortunate thing that people do when they Even do the, it. The feminist thing to me is separating man from woman. Uh and then you got the, you know, the the gays, and then you got what's going on in the, between the black people and the cops, you know what I mean, which is two groups that are opposing each other uh, more so now than ever. So you think feminism is uh, separating men from women? That's what they're doing? I think it's a, it's a slight shifting of, uh, especially with the guys, you know what I mean? Oh, male feminists? Male feminists and— Male feminists are barely real. It's weird. It's a weird situation, you know. You just park this joint, keep up with you. Male, male feminists are seriously barely real. They're barely real. There's a, a very tiny percentage of men that are actually male feminists. The, the, the smallest percentage are actually, like, adhere to those ideologies. The vast majority are doing what's called virtue signaling. Michael Shermer's got the best expression. I wonder if that's his expression. I see it everywhere. I see it more often now than ever before, I think, since he's been on this podcast. But um, what they're doing is just trying to make everybody think that they're amazing. They're, they're so virtuous. They're so ethical and so moral and so open-minded and fair in their thinking that they've, they're, they, you know, they identify as a feminist. But most of it is guys that just can't get any pussy. Well, I thought I was a true, I thought I was a true feminist, but I was talking to this young lady about how beautiful women are. And I was like, they like... I like to be in a place with beautiful women. They like cars. Want some I'm good. I'm good. You sure? Yeah. Okay. And she was like, you objectify women. And I was like, well, I guess I objectify women then, you know? You see that thing? Jamie, you see that thing I, I tweeted the other day <coughs> from Cosmo, Cosmopolitan Magazine, side-by-side -side cover. <coughs> it was a retweet from The Amazing Atheist. <coughs> Weed. Side-by-side uh, -side cover one of them was like men who objectify women are the effing worst and then in the very next cover it showed um, See if it, it's uh, Identifying men's bulges during the Olympics. Yeah, it's hilarious. That's it's hypocrites. Yeah, but I always Look at that <laughs> Confirmed confirmed men who objectify women are effing horrible 36 summer Olympic bulges that deserve gold. And it's just guys' abs with their, you know, yeah. their speedos looking at their cocks. It's hilarious. People are fucking hilarious. I um, agree. And I feel like, you know, when I talk, I, I try to be as truthful as possible. But I only learn through my ignorance. You know what I mean? You only learn. Well, I learn. You, well, you I ain't going to say only learn through my ignorance, but. You learn a lot from shit that you didn't know. From messing up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, yeah, or not knowing. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, I think feminism and all, all these things, there's like a giant scale, right? Yeah. And then there's, there's feminism that totally makes sense to me. <clears throat> I think there's a lot of women that, um, 
They did get treated unfairly. They work with assholes who just want to fuck them or want to treat them like shit because yeah. they're a woman or they have power over them and they know they can pull some stuff on them that they can't pull on men. I think that's a that's 100% real. And I think there's a lot of women that are awesome. They're 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 cool, they're creative, they're funny, they're they're powerful. And you know, to call it feminism or whatever it is, they're just awesome humans. Yeah, that's and they, true. that happen to be women. You know, so I think like the in some ways the idea of feminism is to recognize those women for what they are, just awesome human beings and to sort of shield them and protect them against a lot of sexism, a lot of misogyny, a yeah. lot of shit that gets directed in their direction. And I know it's real. I've seen it. It's 100% real. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of sexism. Just like anybody that would say to you that there's no racism. That is fucking preposterous. Of course there's racism. There's racism amongst black people against other black people. Yeah, I experienced that. There's, I think there's just ignorance, just foolish people. And I think in a lot of ways, it's not even the people's fault. Mm -mm. A lot of what we are is a measurement of who our parents were, who their parents were, the neighborhoods that we lived in, the people that we were exposed to, and the, the think process, the thought process that surrounds these areas is super difficult to escape. Yeah. You know, it's just really hard for people to think outside of the box. It's easier now because you might live in a bad neighborhood with a bunch of silly people that don't think very well, but you have access to the internet now. So now you can start to take in other ideas and consider those ideas and say, well, maybe these fucking people around me are assholes. You well, know? the problem with the internet is, and I got friends and family that don't have the thought of going to the internet, you know? That's the problem with the internet? Oh, not the internet, but with, you know, that situation, you know, um, yeah. So if I have a conversation with somebody and I was like, why don't you just Google it? And they was like, what? I'm asking you. Yeah, you're you're hanging around with silly people. It's well, this 2016. Is just, this is just re people I'm related to, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's nothing you can do about that. No, nah, but just it's... Gotta, like, you gotta leave them behind. It's tough, though. It's tough. It's tough, man. I mean, I yeah. have left, but I realized once I left home, the smarter... The, only person that's educated or the person who thought outside the box is gone. Mm. You, you know? were the only person that was thinking outside the box for the your, most part. Your yeah. family. Yeah. Well, what do they think about you being like this sort of subversive comedian? You know, you're this like open minded, free speaking dude who says wild shit on stage. You know, they don't get it. Uh, do they think you're funny? No. <laughs> to be honest. No. Well, I'm here to tell them they're wrong. No, they don't. You're very uh, funny. You can just tell by the look in their face when they see it. Um, it's not what they, it's not world star hip hop, you know. Yeah. Is that what they're expecting? Yeah, that's what they find funny. Right. Like, look at this dude who gets slapped, you know. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so it's just a different, I've, I've, I've socially, economically, mentally crossed uh, over, you know. Right. Uh, but it happened so long ago. that. So you feel like you can't relate sometimes when you're talking to them? Well, in a sense, but... The thing, you know, the things you find interesting, uh, they might not find interesting. Yeah. And there's always a thing in the black community when they was like how uh, desegregation ruined the black community because it took the doctors and lawyers out of the community. But them niggas don't want to hang around them niggas. Them doctors <laughs> ain't trying to sit around motherfuckers that drink alcohol all day. You know what I mean? And they trying to talk about how to invest and what percentage the bank returns versus, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, IRA or something like that. Motherfuckers ain't trying to, like, so 
I see, I understand why these things happen now. Why people move out? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but that's the journey that I'm on, and then I try to go back and explain those things. You know, there's amazing aspects to all sorts of different ethnicities, different parts of the world, different groups of humans. There's like amazing aspects of their culture that they they have that is gonna it's gonna be weird if all that stuff gets lost but i think ultimately what human beings eventually are gonna have to figure out is the only things that matter are like i mean it's really like basically straight martin luther king jr yeah judge a man by the content of his character or a woman who are you yeah like who are, but we can identify each other so easily by what we look like or where we're from. It's so easy. So so many people are like so proud of being from a certain part of the world. And in some place, I think in some ways, I think it's kind of cool. Like Armenians, yeah. Talk some shit about Armenia in front of Armenians. They'll smack the fuck out of you. Yeah. <laughs> they don't play, man. Nah. They're fucking loyal to that. And they don't even live there anymore, man. Yep. That's like being someone who's really into being American and living in South America. You know, yeah, if, if you true. talk shit, if you talk to shit to an expat like that lives in South America, you know, if you're like, man, America's shit. Yeah. America's fucked up. It's ruined the world. He's like, yeah, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here, bitch. Yeah. I got the fuck out. I got the fuck out because I didn't want to deal with it anymore. That you can't like. There's something cool about that. These people that come over here and they, they're unapologetically like one of the things I like about Armenians. I don't mean to. I'm not picking on them. I'm complimenting them. They're unapologetically masculine. Like, yeah, that's those, true. Those dudes will wear fucking wife beaters and tank tops with uh, gold chains hanging down. It's hilarious. They're like, they rock it so old school. Yeah. I like it in a lot of ways. Walk with the chest out or. Yeah. Yeah, they look, but, like, they look through you sometimes. See, I don't want to lose that because I think there's something cool about what that, that, that community represents. I don't want to lose that. I don't think you, you lose it. Um,. I hope not. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm from a situation like I got African friends, and when we met, they had to sneak me in their home um, because I'm not African. Right? Really? Yeah. Because you're from America. Yeah. What part of Africa are they from? Nigeria. Okay. It's funny, like saying saying someone's African. It's like, do you know how fucking big Africa is? Yeah, <laughs> it's that like, is true. There's so many different countries in it. I was. Uh, I think it was Zamibia. I was watching some uh, documentary about Zamibia last night. I think it's Zamibia. Namibia? Nubi maybe Namibia. Namibia? Extremely underpopulated. It's enormous. It's like bigger than Texas by like one quarter, which is Texas is fucking huge. That's huge. So this country is bigger than Texas by more than one quarter, and I think it only has like two million people in it. And uh, they were they were showing how the little this one village that they visited how little rainfall there was. They had one inch of rain in three years. Damn. It's crazy, man. When you look at how these people live, like I like watching documentaries that highlight human beings that just easily could be you or me. Easily, if just this happened and that happened, and our mother gave birth in this weird part of the world. And they're just people, man. They're waving. These kids are real playful. They're waving to everybody. They, they're waving to the camera. They're so excited that the camera people are there to film this. And they're out there cooking. And it's so dry. It's so dry. You know, you're looking at them like, where are they getting their water? Where's the fucking water? There's no water. Yeah. This is crazy. 
they had a um on this uh documentary they had a problem it was a, a show it's actually called uncharted it's this guy named jim shockey and he travels all over the world and he's a professional hunter and he visits these uh communities a lot of times he's helping people like he had to uh they had to take out some crocodiles that had become uh addicted to eating people or accustomed wow. accustomed to eating people and this one they had to stop a hyena that was killing all their livestock this hyena would come in and just mangle their livestock and uh they had to sh- they get up in the m- middle of the night and then drive there super early in the morning before the sun came up to observe this hyena because he would only be there for like a few moments in the early early morning and then he would bolt but it looks like a werewolf like this werewolf that's tearing apart this cow wow. and i'm watching this and i'm like you mad? these people are living in these little houses near this this fucking thing is out there just mangling their cows. They have no water. It's dry as fuck. It's so fascinating, man. Anyway, that is a country in Africa. And yeah. Of course, there's other countries that are tropical. There's other countries. I mean, Africa's. It is insane how big that place is. I haven't even been. I was gonna go this summer, but I found out that you have to take uh, malaria shots, and I'm like, I'm not giving malaria medication to my kids. Fuck that. Just fuck that. Yeah, that, those things, shots I'm not a fan of. Uh, the malaria ones are supposed to be particularly abrasive on your body. And just, I don't want to see my kids walking around poisoned just because I thought it would be cool to go see a, an elephant in its natural environment. <laughs> you know? Take a picture. Ugh, yeah. I can't lift my arms. I mean, I think it would be fucking cool to see for sure. Yeah, Africa. the Africans I met were so real, but they broke down the the white man wolf theory to me. The white man wolf? Thing. Yeah. What's that? Like, you're not full-blooded. You're not African no more. You're a white man's wolf. you like their pet. Oh, that's you? Yeah. That you would be the white man's wolf? That's why on the low, in the oh, community, dude. you hear black people saying, no, we're not African-Americans, because they consider themselves African-Americans. Yeah, I had a buddy of mine who went to Africa with uh, another black guy who was telling me the same thing. He's like, dude, he goes, don't, don't ever call yourself an African-American. Mm-mm. He goes, because you go over there, he goes, they don't like you. He goes, he goes, they don't like you, yeah. they don't, they don't want to see you, and they're jealous, and they get angry at you, and they want to fuck you up. And I go, really? He yeah. goes, yeah. He goes, don't ever think you're going back to Africa. No. But it's weird because you see people holding up the fist and all this other stuff. But we're so far removed. I consider us a group of people that, you know, the things have happened in our past, so we're afraid of that, but we don't know how our future looks either. Well, it seems cool to have this idea that there's Africa and it's like, like fucking Narnia, or like it's like uh, it's like the the blue people that lived in um, the fucking Avatar. Avatar. What was that planet? The planet they lived on. I forgot remember? the name of it. Those trees were God beautiful. Damn it! Yeah, it's like I re- it reminded me of unobtainium. Pandorum. Pandora. Yeah. It's, Pandora. Yeah, Pandora or um, Pandora. 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 Yeah. Like the app. Yeah, um, like the app. That's hilarious. Um, but I remember like the the, the way people uh, would think of uh, Native American life. Like uh, it's really similar. Yeah. They would think they'd have this idyllic existence. It was beautiful. They lived in harmony with nature. They only killed what they they needed. There's no war. Like I've had like bizarre conversations with hippies about North America. About Native Americans, yeah. and not that I'm anti-Native American, I'm th- by far the opposite. I think it is insanely cool that this place was populated just a few hundred years ago by people that were essentially living the way people lived tens of thousands of years ago, yeah, that's true. and they were successful at it. 
They were they, they didn't even have horses, man. They didn't have horses until European settlers. This, a lot of people don't realize. And what's even f more fucking weird about that is that horses actually evolved in North America. Horses started in North America and tr made their way to Africa on land masses and became zebras wow. over the course of millions of years. This is uh, one of the weirdest things about <clears throat> Plains Indians and horses is that they didn't really have them, but they... There's some belief, this is all from this guy, Dan Flores, who's a, um, I guess you would call it an environmental historian. I think that's what, what he's called. Um, but I'm reading one of his books on coyotes. But what he was talking about North America, that they almost, they had like almost like a myth about, uh, about horses. Like it's possible that at one point in time <clears throat> they had domesticated horses. Somewhere in North America, like, you know, tens of thousands of years ago. But this is all, like, pre-Ice Age. Ice Age hits. The Ice Age thaws out. Like, wow. a, lot of, a lot of shit has gone down here. But those people, they did not live an avatar existence, is my point. Like, Native Americans we would go to war with each other. They'd fucking yeah. kill each other. They did horrible things. The uh, ones in the Great Lakes area, they did a lot of cannibalism. Yep. The Nez Perce, I think they, the, the name of the Indian they were talking about, they would like kill their enemies and shit. They would find trappers and kill them and eat them. Yeah. You know, like they, it was not this beautiful world. But apes do the same thing. But I think it's just a yeah. matter of resources, right? That's how I look at it. Like, sure. Yeah. Well, it's also the same reason why racism exists. It's like people get in this us versus them thing where yeah. they want these people, whoever these people are, they want, you know, they want everybody has to be on this team and fuck everybody else because that's the only way you, you, they feel like they can survive. Yeah. That's the old way, you know? But what's interesting to me, I think, is that in this day and age, that old way is just melting in front of our eyes because people understand each other. How many white people have Black Lives Movement uh, hashtagged on their fucking Twitter page yeah. a, a fuckload man yeah. how many people today are racist and compared to 100 years ago it's probably radically lower it's lower it's amazing like the how white women want to fuck black dudes because oh, of this thing shit. so in a way it's, it's, it's not all for nothing you know what it's like dude <laughs> it's like you're a first liner you're a, you're a first responder like the 9-11 firemen they got mad pussy after 9-11 yeah. those guys were superstars girls would just fuck firemen for real. Yeah. Especially if a girl worked in a building that was close to where the towers went down. Like, those guys were goddamn heroes. They're, all their hero genes fired up. That's what, I wonder if that's what makes men want to do it in the first place. They know that women are going to think they're heroes and fuck them. I think so. I think guys, like, want to be the alpha, you know, in a certain... I found my place to be an alpha, you know what I mean? So if I was a black guy, I would probably play up racism big time just for white pussy. Uh, however you could play it up. It's, it's girl, it's it's chicks that that told me yeah, and they just want to make out with black dude. They feel there's nothing they could do, so they just want to make out with black. There's guys. nothing they could do. They feel like they feel so whatever about what's happening. Oh, that they want to just make out with black, just to make make it you know contribute yeah. somehow. And I was like, you know, well, there's a few videos that have come out this year that just every where everybody's got to go. Okay. Well, now, t give me an excuse now. Explain it now. There's a few, that's, like the one that the guy sh got shot in his car, reaching for his wallet with his wife and kid in the yeah. car. W you tell me these things don't exist, because everybody was like, ah, oh, that's how they said it went down, but you know the guy probably said something, or he went and reached for something, or maybe he had a record, maybe they knew this guy was a dangerous... No, nope. 
Nope. Nope. Nope. Just a dude complying, reaching for his wallet, and gets unloaded on by some fucking psycho, some stressed out, PTSD'd, who knows what the fuck is going on in that guy's head. Who knows? You know, one of the things I thought was interesting, they had this video online recently that I saw. It was, um, they took this guy who was an active, um, he was a, a big time detractor of the police. He was t- talking about how horrible the police are, and they invited him to go through like one of their police training safety courses. Yeah. And what they do is they, you're supposed to determine when to shoot or when you when you can get shot, when, when someone can be a threat, when you have to shoot them. It was fucking amazing. It's amazing to watch. Because this guy, in just a few of these scenarios, started freaking out. Like, he got shot in a couple of them. And when they shoot you, they shoot at the ground in front of you with a blank. Like, like so wow. he had to realize that this is how quick a cop can get shot by a psycho. Yeah. And so there's different times where he got pulled over, where he pulled someone over, or where he was uh, handling this one guy in a parking lot. Yeah. And the guy went behind the car real quick and then came out and shot him, like, within a second. You know, he's like, sir, would you, can I see some uh, identification, sir? Yeah, man. Hey, man, I'm just working, dude. I'm just getting my stuff here. And he goes in the back and pulls out a gun and shoots him. He's like, this happened. This is an actual scenario. Yeah. This has happened. And it's probably happened a hundred times. A bunch of times. Yeah. So they have to, they are always fucking like this, man. They're always like, yeah. Aah. And you know how people are. Some people like, oh my God, we're almost out of gas. Oh my God, we're almost yeah, out of yeah, gas. Yeah. We're almost out of gas. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And you're like, will you shut the fuck up? If we get out of gas, we'll walk to a goddamn gas stash- station. It'll take us 20 minutes. We'll get some gas. We'll come back. Don't cry. Jesus Christ. Yes, but I right? mean, yeah, I know somebody that talked to a cop and they said that when how they started working and then 11 years later. Oh, yeah. Going into those areas where these things always happen and after years and years yeah. it just it just wears on you for sure and i know from the air just me growing up in situations you know what i mean yeah i wouldn't want to go back i barely go back there yeah. you know so but it do give you nerves your nerves heighten it naturally kicks in 100 percent. you know and like yeah and some people be- can't handle those nerves Mm-mm. you learn how to breathe quietly you don't know like somebody you could walk down the street and somebody could pull a pistol out on you. And those things, those I've been driving down the street with my ex lady, and she was talking, and I was like, "Get down!" Because I saw a guy draw on a corner and shoot across the street at another guy. Oh Jesus! And as the gun went up, we drove under the 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 the, the fire, right? But it was long. It was long. Oh my the god! Two, and as it went up, we went under. Oh Dude, my we god! We got the second shot off. And I drove, and I was like, man, that was crazy. Like, I'm that guy. Like, we made it. Like, get up. We made it. That was crazy. And she's like, you going to call the police? And I was like, for what? And she's like, to tell what happened. And I was like, uh, no. I don't want to be. And that's how crazy it is. Well, you don't even want to be involved because you got to go to the cops. And I ended up calling the police. And um, they's like, can you describe the victim? I was like, white T-shirt, blue jeans. That's all I said. And they was like, was he black? And it was just a long pause. <laughs> it was just a long pause and they was like sir is he black and I was like man you know that nigga was black and I just hung the phone up I just hung the phone up man oh. it felt weird but yeah cause I realized yeah like yeah it's just weird things that happen but uh, it's interesting what goes on cause like I met guys who shot at people before and shot people so 
if you hear anything about my set, you know I know both sides. Right. You know what I mean? So it's just interesting. Out of dudes you know that shot people, how many of them got caught? One. <laughs> oh, my God. One because he ended up shooting my best friend's sister and a baby in a passion crime. Oh, Jesus And his Christ. last words to me was, he was weird. I was leaving the house one night. We was in the project. You know, he played you know, play cards and shit. Like, I don't really went into that like that. Um, but I remember leaving, and he was just on the steps, and he looked he looked up at me, and he was like, hey, man. He was like, you smart. You got a chance to get out of here. And it was one of those weird moments, you know. Uh, and he was like, man, just keep doing you. No matter how weird or whatever people say you are, just keep doing you type situation. Wow. And he's like, I love you. And I don't use love like that. So I was just like, all right. <laughs> You know, yeah. right? and then I left, and then that was my last time seeing him. You know, how long after that did he do the crime? Probably like a week or two. Because oh, I was out of town and I got back, and it was just, yeah. There's war zones. That's a war zone. I mean, th- when you're in an area that has a lot of shootings, so much so that you drive under a car and you don't even want to call the cops. You know, like if you saw something like that in Beverly Hills, if you were an average person who's like a successful accountant yeah. who has a nice home in Beverly Hills <clears throat> and you're driving to your house and someone shoots over your car, fucking for sure you're calling the police, right? Because it's rare. Yeah. It doesn't happen there very often. That is, if you think how many people die during wartime every year, um, how many, find this out, Jamie, how many uh I wonder if this is possible to know. I was going to say how many shootings occur in Iraq and Afghanistan. How many military-involved exchanges of firearms. The, and, then, and then compare it to how many people get killed in America every day from gunfire. And, you know, everybody's like, well, this is, a, is this a gun a gun rights issue? I don't, uh, no, just, no. Like, just looking at what's happening. Like looking at where the like, super dangerous spots and and the and the mindset and the lack of the, the so called lack of resources people think they have. Yeah. Know? Um. Yeah, I, th- I see it all. Be, when you say lack of resources, you mean no hope for the future. Oh, we're just fear based. Or I gotta eat. You know what I mean? Right. Like the power company don't care that you know you all love each other and you're trying to go get to better your life. Exactly. Um. And sometimes your lady, your girl, don't even want to hear that either. I think that is a big part of what keeps these communities exactly the same way. You know, there's a dude named Eddie Wong. He's a, uh, a chef and an author, and he's done a bunch of cool shit. And he's a funny dude. He's got a show on Vice. Yeah. And he brought up this idea of universal basis, basic income. And he's like, you know, just giving people enough money every year so they live. You know, like, you don't have to worry about your bills. You don't have to, Everything's paid for. Yeah. Everything after that you have to work for. And I remember thinking, that is fucking ridiculous. You can't give people things. People are going to get fucking lazy. They're just not, that is not, that's not going to work. Yeah. But now, the more I think about it, the more I think of, that might be like the best way to curb crime, to curb need, yeah. to curb people doing things out of total desperation, to, uh, to curb a certain amount of despair that some people feel. And then from there, it might be like a jumpstart for people pursuing other ideas that might successfully contribute to the economy. 
I'm, I don't know enough about the economy to really comment. Yeah. This is, I'm just reading a bunch of different things a bunch of people have said about it. And I'm like, well, so it might, it might actually make sense in terms of law enforcement, yeah. in terms of uh, unemployment, like all sorts of different things where, where you would have to factor in like uh, where the money would come from. And I was like, wow, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive. But once you look into it, you're like, look. If how many of these people that are super desperate and don't have money for bills, there's no jobs. Yeah. How many of those people would relax a lot if they got X amount of dollars a year, like whatever it is, they would they could survive. I know, like with myself, I'm like I'm around people that make money now, and they like money is not important. But I'm like, you made it to the mountaintop already. You know what I mean? You made a certain income, but when you're surviving, you don't have time to feel things. You don't have time to be philosophical to or evolve. feel yeah or to feel like I'm sad, you yeah. know what I mean? Like or these things. Like I even look at my mom differently now because she had at one point lost her children, you know, and she had to get them back, and she raised us in survival mode. So she never thought of reading a self help book or learn how to money manage yeah. and do all those things, you know what I mean? And me and my sister at a place now where we could do those things, you know, where we could we talk about. You know how we feel, or even look back and see where we went wrong, and that's just a luxury that, you know. I see what you're saying. A mother who was a father, <laughs> a mother, a woman, who becomes a guy, and take those roles on, it does something to her, emotionally. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, so um, when her kids is gone now, she might have a chance to grow and see where things went wrong if she doesn't feel it's too late. Right. Yeah. But in survival mode, and I try to tell people that who try to talk about these issues but never been in the situation before and feel the need to go out and see why people get out and don't look back. Or they try to help people and people concentrate on other things, why, the reason why. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, the survival mode is very primal. You know, the law, the law don't matter in survival mode or... Uh, yeah, you can take things. You can run up in the store and take things because you're just that hungry. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've seen and been a part of all these things. You like clothes. You want luxury stuff to the point that you would take it. You know, go to a mall and take a polo shirt. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You know, so, yeah. Yeah, survival mode is a, de a, a place that most people have no idea, right? Most people are just guessing, me included. Just guessing. Well, there's people that is in situation even worse than mine. And, um, yeah, you see what it, it, it does to people. And after a while, they kind of like it. They might make six figures, but they still go to the projects. Because it's, it's exciting. It's exciting, one. And two, they can't communicate with people who've been making 100000 their whole life or grew up in that situation. Well, you know, that's a big thing with people that go to war. People that have been to war, they, uh, for some reason, even though it was awful and they saw friends die, it was the best time of their life. Yeah. It's like there's something about living knowing that any moment you could be dead that makes the live moments, the moments when you're not dead, more special. And then you come back here and everything's sort of muted. Yeah. It's toned down, you know. I think that's why a lot of rich people, they start... If they don't have any meaning in their life, they don't have a thing that they're really into, they just start buying shit. They just start collecting houses and boats. and They're just trying to figure out, there's got to be something exciting to do here. There's got to be something. Yeah. You know? Well, once I started making, like, 
$30,000 a year <laughs> doing stand-up. It changed me because I came, I wasn't invited to L.A. I slept on the floor for a year. You know what I mean? I did the whole car thing and built everything up from there. You living out of the car? You were doing that? Yeah, for like a couple of weeks, you know, but... Everybody's got a cool story that makes it. That yeah. might make it then. I know a lot of people, like Ronda Rousey, she had a cool living out of her car oh, story. Oh, man, that was a very interesting interview. A lot of Very people emotional, have, you know? Yeah, man. A lot of people had the living out of your car. Yeah, but to me, that, that's kind of normal for L.A. Mm-hmm. But I figure, I think I made it. Part of me think I made it when I graduated from college because I was the first graduate from college. Mm. And I was like, I got to unlearn everything I was taught now. How so? Because it's institutionalized thinking. To me, there's no difference you mean between the university. Yeah, there's no difference between college and prison. Sometimes to me, what? It's way different. You can quit college. Well, yeah, you can. You can. That's true. But you know, both get money for how many occupants they have. And right, I look at those stats, and they teach you a certain. It's a society within both. You know. Mm-hmm. Then even the military, because I went to Afghanistan for 13 days. I think colleges are incredibly important. But I think that, like all things, when the world around them evolves quicker than they do, yeah, it creates issues. And I think a lot of what you're seeing, like I've I've talked to some kids who go to school that are are taking these classes from ridiculous left wing professors who are basically communists. You know, there there's, and there's a lot of them. Yeah, it's not just a few. And this left wing thinking is like super uber prevalent on campus to the point where it's like distorting kids' versions and views of the world, and it's it's trickle down. It's the students, it's the faculty. There's a there's yeah. a lot going on. And it's ultimately a lot of it is like the people at the very top of it all. It's really kind of fascinating because those people are shaping people's minds. Yeah. And they're involved in a lot of ways from what like comes out of that in a, a cultural sense. But there's a lot of backlash because of that, too. There's a lot of people that are going to those schools and now are reading online accounts of what these professors do. And now these, a lot of these professors have zero experience in the world itself. They just live in academia. They, they get the degree. Yeah. They go from getting a degree to teaching. And they teach. And they just they don't enter the world. So they live in this world of these sort of esoteric ideas or yeah. these, these uh, philosophies that they would like to be real but might not necessarily be real. Well, and I, they teach kids. I was kind of fortunate in that because I like I test, I took some weird test in elementary school that sent me to these schools, uh, upper middle class, high school. and They just figured out you're smart? Yeah, but it alienated me from my community oh. my class like my we got bus to a school so everybody in my apartment complex got on a bus and went to school and then we got separated to where it was like five black people in this class and when we would go to lunch we had to walk on different sides of the hall and everybody from my neighborhood would just mush me coming through the hall and stuff. <laughs> so things started to happen then but how could they not see that coming that almost seems like one of those government experiments like a psychological tuskegee experiment you know what I mean? In a, in a sense, but what happened was by the time, like my professors were like rich millionaires because they taught the subject that they did well in. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, I would say like a comedy, comedian, I mean a comedy class, except that, that teacher made it. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so they write books and shit. They write their own books. They got millions, you know, they doing this because they want to. You know, they retired already. Mm. Like, I think my Stat teacher retired at 30, you know what I mean? 30? Yeah. He what wrote his own book, and I didn't like that. 
goddamn book. Because I couldn't steal his book. <clears throat> you couldn't steal it? Uh-uh. Why not? Because he wrote his own book. So he gave, we had to buy it from him, and, and he downloaded the... Uh, Download it somehow. Oh, that's interesting. So but, he sold you his own. He had to sell his books every time a class he taught. Woo, that's tricky. So huh? I went to college my freshman year and didn't have books because in high school they provided books. And I didn't right. know you needed books. So I made I made money to buy a book, and they got book buyback programs. But they give you 25% of what the book's worth. Right. And I just couldn't get into that. <laughs> so I had to steal books. And I would sell the books at 50%. You would steal them and sell them? Yeah. And what, would you steal a physical copy of the book? Yeah. Where would you get them? From the bookstore. Just snag them from the bookstore? Yeah, because the, the thing that the alarm they had was the alarm. And it's funny because the engineering book school, but it never was hooked up properly. Ah. So, and I was thin enough just to put it in my waistband and walk out. This is all very alleged. Never really happened. Yeah, this it's never a, really happened. You know what I mean? This is uh, just fiction. If for I was the podcast. Write, if I was to write a book, though, this is how it would be done. Right. <clears throat> but so I didn't do it like on massive. On. I didn't do massive because I know what grand theft is. Right. You know what I mean? So it's only a few people that I supplied, and it's easy. You buy, you getting it for fifty percent, and then you can have that money back at the end of the semester. Yeah. That's a good deal. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. Win-win. Except for stealing. The stealing part. The stealing part, but... I allegedly might have gotten college books that way, too. Yeah. Really? A lot of Super them. Super common? Well, today, kids can just download most things, right? Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> it must be really hard for them to sell their books now, because kids can just go to, like, a BitTorrent. Because especially if there's, like, a college course that's in a major university, yeah. most likely someone's going to un- upload it to a torrent, right? Would yeah. you assume? But it wasn't Torrance. We I went to school when Napster dropped, so we was a group. Oh shit! That pushed all that forward. I remember Napster. Yeah, I remember the the crazy argument about Napster. I remember I had to sit back, and and go. I remember very clearly when that Metallica guy got involved. Lars Ulrich yeah. got involved, and he was you know saying that this is stealing, and and he was going crazy and freaking out. I remember literally sitting back. Because I was listening to it on Sirius Satellite Radio, I think it was at the time, or something. I was listening to something on my car. What year was that? Like, what year was Napster? Like, 02. 02. Was there even Sirius Satellite Radio? Am I imagining this? It might have been the radio. Right. Actual radio. Right around, XM was right around that same time, I think. It might have been um, whoever it was out here. It might have been Howard Stern. I was listening to something, and they were talking about it. And I remember thinking, just stepping back and going, whoa, this is a new thing. Like, people have figured out how to get stuff for free online yeah. that normally would be, like, 20 bucks or 10 bucks, or whatever the fuck it is. And I remember thinking, whoa, this is a new door that just opened up. I, rem- I remember, like, sitting back in my chair. I was in my car. I remember the fucking parking lot. I was going to buy dog food. And I was listening to this. And I remember I sat back and I went, oh, man, this is a moment. Yeah, This is a real moment in our culture. Well, before then, look, our dorms didn't even have the internet, right? You didn't have the internet. You still had to go to the computer lab. So check this out. Check this out. This was the hustle. We met two white guys. One guy broke his foot when he was young, and his dad gave him an old computer, and he started working a little card game. And from there, he learned programming. Uh Right? And he said, we can get him access to a computer lab. He can supply our rooms with internet because they was wired but it wasn't hooked up oh so he can get the numbers and, and if and statements and make the the, the thing communicate with one another oh. so a few of us 
in the dorms had internet. Whoa! You and got this hacked the dorm. And, this is like an episode of Mash. And this the problem with learning how to learn how to hustle in survival mode. You learn how to get stuff for free, but you don't learn how to monetize it all the time. But what we did was we we started selling like CDs and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So you download stuff and then sell CDs. Sell because nobody had laptops or nothing like that. Oh, wow! Yeah, a friend these, of mine these called. Are it, crazy stories. We're gonna look back on this. This is like those people when the camera first got invented. Yeah. Well, yeah, we stood around for four hours and he painted us. And be like, what? I mean, this is literally what that's like. This is what happens, man. And think too. I think <laughs> a year or two earlier, I was in the crack game a little bit. You were in the crack game? A little bit. For like six uh, that months. That should be a meme. I was in the crack game a little bit. Picture this, of Byron Bowers. <laughs> this thing was new. This thing was a new hustle. Because yeah. more people love music. <clears throat> yeah, when did the crack game open up? That was 80... The 80s. Something. That was when everything became... Uh, they blamed everything on crack. Yeah, it was. They literally blamed everything on crack. The epidemic. Like, all white people were terrified of crack. They thought that for yeah. sure... For sure. You want some of those? Alpha brain. Yeah, I know you're looking at it. Oh, wow. So bite the top off of it and pour it in your drink. You'll get smarter. It um it affected me in the 90s, mid-90s. How so? With my father and my aunt. The see the sea of the deterior, deterioration of people and families, like full-on. Um, somebody you look up to just, you know. Yeah, well, it was a, it was a way for people to get coke way easier, right? Yeah, that's basically what it is. Get the same high for a short <laughs> amount of, for cheaper. You know what I mean? Five ten dollars. But it has a different effect. It must have some sort of a different effect because people say that the crack thing, like after you do it, it's like really good in the beginning and then it's not so good after a while. But is that the same with coke? I think you're still chasing that high. I haven't did coke. Yet ever? You know I mean? Nah. You say yet though. You leaving the possibility open. You Byron know, Bowers ready to party. You know everything I've done, I do it for experiment with it. Right. And I to understand addiction and learn like comedy makes me so happy that I don't have to lean on anything for any emotional thing. Right. So when I do it, it's just to see what it's like. Mm-hmm. Right. So like when I did shrooms. You know, that was, I was there documenting the experience. And then I would go back into it and I can go out. Mm. Being self-aware mentally. Almost like from uh, an engineering perspective, you're trying to like back engineer what's going on. Yeah. When you're doing these drugs. Try to figure it out. Let me write this stuff down. Then I'll go back and look at it and try to figure out how I got there. Well, even when I, I got in the crack business, it was like, let's see what makes you so powerful. I remember having it in my hand, like, let's see what makes you so powerful. You were saying that to the crack itself. Yeah. Hmm. What did it say? I'll show you. Yeah, Byron basically, because when I when it ended, it was a low for me. When I stopped selling, the low for you. It was a low for me. Oh. Because I didn't low. know that the person who sells it is addicted, just as much as the user. Because you're addicted to selling it. The power, the money. Oh. When you walk in the building, people know who you are, and people you could you the control mm. you have over people. I'm like, this is what white power feels like. <laughs> That's it. it was a guy who ran into a store, got some clothes, and brought it back. Cause he didn't have any money. That's a powerful thing. 
you know. Right. Yeah. People are sucking your dick, you know, and stuff like that. Wait a minute. How does it equate to guy getting some clothes and bringing them back? What? How what? The power? Yeah. Because they don't, there's nothing they would normally do. You can make somebody do that, you know what I mean? So I look at it like if I was, and I could think like a one percenter because I got a business, I was educated in business, so you, they give you a Republican mindset. So if I was in control of a society, right, and I had a group of, of poor people and I control the resources, mm-hmm. and this happened on the street with drugs too. That's why drug dealers get robbed. If I control the resources, I can allow it to go out, or I cannot allow it to go out. I can control the price point, and if you can't afford it, you know what I mean. Then it's like okay, let's see what else you could do to to get this thing that you want. So you were getting addicted to the power of like controlling these people, of having these people dependent upon you. You would show up, you would be important, you'd be making money doing something that's kind of dangerous. There's like a bunch of different things going on. But I think I did it enough to see it, but I didn't do it long enough to get How full long did you do power. It? I think probably like six months or like a semester or two. How'd you get out of it? I had to, I it was at one point I had I got propositioned to take control over this town. And it was at a point consciously where, I, like, I was at a private college. I lived a triple life. I had basketball scholarship. I had classes that I was failing. It was a religious college. I had white friends. And then I would go to the black community and hustle at night. It's a lot of stuff to do, you know what I mean? And, um, like, at one point, I was shot at. I was hanging with my white friends, and they didn't know what the fuck was going on. You got shot at with your white friends? Yeah, because they wanted to buy weed. But guess what? They had to go to get weed in this other place. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So, and that that person, allegedly, his uncle worked for me. This is the first allegedly of the night, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. All this is alleged. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I remember it was a pharmaceutical company in that town that made a lot of money. And I remember standing outside face to face with it. And I was like, this is a setup. We'll never win. This is where all the money is right here in this pharmaceutical company. It's legal, you know. And I met a guy who was addicted to crack. And he owned a pharmaceutical company. And CVS bought him out for like $1.5, $1.8 million. And you know where all that money went, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, these, and these things made me be like, and then the fact I was getting angry because I'm feeling, realizing how un, unfair life is. Because now I mean black people who p- grandparents went to college, you know what I mean? And during that time, they would do like brown paper bag tests to see if you was allowed to go to school within the black community. They would put a brown paper bag up to you. And if you was lighter than that, you know, you could go to school and stuff. What? Yeah. Who did this? This was like certain HBSUs, you know, black universities and stuff like that. I know they would do that just to get in a fraternity, you know? Really? Yeah, you could research this stuff. A brown paper bag is so white. I know, man. You telling me. Look at me. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow. Uh, so the anger started to come, and then you in the streets hustling, and I don't think I had the mentality. It got to one point I knew that if I crossed the line, like, if I would have harmed somebody in a very bad way, there's no coming back from that. And right. I don't think I was ready to make that decision. But I do know the guy, when I left, he went on to build that part of town and finished. It was just two of us at the time, but it became a, a crew of six. And each made thirteen five a week take home. 
Wow. By the time they hit five, six, or seven years. But by the time I linked back up with him, he was the only one left. Alive. Alive or not in jail. And, you know, religion saved him. Really? So he pulled out because religion, the rest of them were gone? Yeah. But I just saw, the way my mind worked, I just saw stuff early. You know, you I just mm-hmm. put the pieces together early. Right. Well, that's that's a skill. That's a skill that a lot of people have to learn. And you learn it by watching either you do your own fuck-ups or you watch a lot of people fuck up around you. Yeah. <clears throat> like if you talk to the uh, children of alcoholics, they rarely drink. Not, I shouldn't say rarely. What I should say is I run into a lot of people who were the children of alcoholics yeah. who realized, like, fuck that noise. Yeah. And they they, re, they realized growing up with unreliable parents, they yeah. were fucked up. And just, and those people, you know, there's like proof positive. You don't have to actually go through the mistake to yeah. learn yourself. But once I learned, I didn't hate drug dealers no more. But until then, I did. Because one knocked my dad's eye out and... They, they, I heard he climbed the flagpole for for fun because he didn't have no money. But before then, this was a guy that raised me who who managed to, we lived in a small bedroom apartment, two-bedroom apartment, to him amassing a, a five-bedroom house and cars and boats because he was just that smart and good. And I seen it all disappear, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What I call, like, King, or King Falling or something like that. Right, right. So I just wanted to see, like, the other part of that. And I would be in the crack, crack like, house asking people's parents about their kids, how their kids feel about this. And they, you know, no, no, no. You know, I don't want to talk about that right now. Like, I'm, like, so even during that time, I'm still, like, gathering information and just, you know. Well, what's most insidious about crack is that it affects poor neighborhoods in general and black neighborhoods in particular like that that's a one of the weirder drugs because there was crack in poor white neighborhoods like <clears throat> there was an area called Lowell in uh, Massachusetts that had a big problem I think it was crack or was it heroin but there's a lot of there was crack neighborhoods for sure like I know yeah. I know poor white people that smoked crack but Me too. It, it seems way more prevalent in, in black communities and it, it I always wonder like what is um what's the need that's being met when when a when a drug provides a certain type of sensation like what is the need that's being met that is uniquely uh, attracts it to certain neighborhoods I don't know that I really don't know I know it was cheap for certain it wasn't cheap where we was doing it at that's what made it so profitable but do you think that it's because of all these pressures that you were talking about like you're you're talking about this despair you're talking about how it just feels like you can't get out you're stuck in this this bad place with all this danger and violence and just the constant fucking pressure of that i think so i think i look at what my aunt and dad the type of people they are personality wise very friendly and them being in a bible belt where you're taught you got to behave a certain way but they are real, like, horny people, and they like the fuck. And all this. <laughs> it's true. You know what I mean? They do. You know right. what I mean? So um, just being confined, mm-hmm. you know, growing up with two parents, I hear my friends be like, they have to, f- they had pressures that I didn't have. Like, I didn't have a curfew or nothing, you know, but I was just a good kid. I was still, a, they would call me a square when I was younger. I didn't partake in anything, but I would be out. Mm. I'd be like, it'll be, like, right there, and I'd see it. But just instinctively, I knew better. But I see people who came up a certain way with certain values 
even my friends, they had to live with that for a while. Right. Well, I had the freedom to be like, nah, I'm going to do this. So you had the forethought or the foresight to see where this could all be a problem. And then you got proven correct. So you got you got to see all these other people fuck up doing all these things. Yeah, well, I noticed like, oh, my my grandmother and granddaddy uh, snuff cigarette people. Snuff. Um, that stuff's so weird. Yeah, my grandmother. Explain that shit for people who don't even know what it's snuff like, is. It's snuff is like a powder form of tobacco, um, almost like chewing tobacco is what the dudes did. But you don't. It's and snuff yeah. is what the women did. It's a powder form. They still put it in their mouth and they got a spit cup. And they would always be like, oh, you know, as a kid, go grab my spit cup. And you watch, <laughs> you watch a lady just spit in you know, this beautiful ass spit cup. And then they get a paper towel and put it at the bottom so it don't make a noise. You remember that was like a big deal in the Wild West? They'd have spittoons. Yeah. Remember that? I saw one those at, the, like um, movies. at the Capitol to the Capitol in Sacramento and they got those spit things. I used to work with this dude. He was a stuntman on Fear Factor. His name's Perry. Perry's crazy. He used to swallow his tobacco juice. Oh, that's gangster. Because he said he, got, <laughs> he said he he was working on uh, movie sets so often that um, he couldn't spit. He couldn't like carry around his cup and spit. So he started just swallowing his tobacco wow. juice, and then got used to it. The most I've drank. The most I've drank. <laughs> the most I've drank and did tobacco. I did tobacco before. You drank tobacco? No, I drank alcohol and did tobacco because I used to do focus groups. My Nigerian friends, they put me on. So they give you fifty, seventy-five, hundred, two hundred dollars $200 to drink and test, taste it and give your opinion on it, right? Right. But if you, because my name is Byron Bowers, which can be Byron Powers, which can be Brian Bowers, Brian Powers. I could do four focus, focus groups in one day. So you just change your name a little bit? Change name, put on a different shirt. <laughs> this is just income for Like, this is the hustles that we had to... You Like, in college, to me, college is where poor people learn white-collar crimes and stuff, right? So I had to do tobacco, and they never would do it, some people, and I would do it. And then they would be in the tobacco meeting. Like, it'd be like me and the redneck white guys. They all like, yeah, man, this one tastes a little more like... I got the citrus flavor pops more in this you know and i'm in there just lit eyes red <laughs> like i'm in there just, just chewing my hanging out my mouth i can't even spit right what is the feeling of doing chewing tobacco when you don't do it um what's it do to you in that group uh i think it's like um equivalent to like you just get like a weird buzz feeling like you just real like your eyes are red and they say it's really good to write on they say like nicotine is one of the best things to write on it's like it's like a more it's like an alertness Alert. Like, if I eat chocolate or drink coffee, like, my heart explodes, I just start doing this. You know what I mean? So, right. it's like an alert version of that, but you still, like, happy and stuff at the same time. Like, as if you're on alcohol. It's like you buzzed in a way. So, it's better. Better than, than coffee. Uh, It's more of a, a drunk feeling than coffee. Huh. To me. From chewing tobacco. Yeah, and this is a, what kind of this is this like the loose leaf stuff or is it yeah, like that, the that skull stuff that you skull. have to when you watching people yeah. do it and then you like doing this <sighs> and then you not you don't even know how to spit so they in there like and you like it looks so nasty like, yeah and I saw this one fucking dude uh, who was doing public service announcements he was going to colleges and uh, uh, high schools rather and grammar schools and he was missing most of his lower jaw he got jaw cancer from doing chewing tobacco yeah 
I think he was a baseball player. He used to be this like strapping, handsome gentleman. And then uh, as time went on, the cancer ate his jaw away. It stings to me. It stings to me. It's like a stronger uh, spearmint mint mm-hmm. feeling. And if you don't know how to do it right, it gets all in your. Well, how many people actually get cancer from that stuff? I don't know, man. It seems like there's a lot of people that do that stuff, right? They don't got no electronic version now? Like they got no, e-cigarettes? No, 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 no. Well, I, I mean, I, I apparently, according to people that smoke cigarettes, e-cigarettes just don't give you the same rush. They don't I can't believe you that, that. They don't give you that kick. Like uh, At the end of the day to me, but it's still smoke going inside your lungs. Yes, it's still smoke going inside your lungs, but it's not. Those e-cigarettes are vapor. It's actually a liquid tobacco. Okay, And that then makes sense. it vaporizes the liquid tobacco, and some sort of particles have to be in the air. But it's uh, it's attached to vapor. It's a different experience than the cold, I mean the hot, you know, uh, yeah. smoke from fire. It's like but those I, cars that burn with hydrogen or something that evaporates in the air. Hydrogen turns into air, yeah, yeah. when you burn it. Yeah. Okay. Or is it turned to water? Some water. Is it oxygen or water? Some hydrogen burn, burning hydrogen turned into oxygen, or does it turn into water? One of water I'm comes out of Jamie to Google five things at a time. We need a goddamn assistant. Um, but yeah, yeah. But cigarettes, man, they do give you a, w- a weird rush. I don't smoke cigarettes, but I've had hits of people's cigarettes before yeah. just to see what it feels like. Like uh, Tony Hinchcliffe gave me a pull off his cigarette the other night right before I went on stage. It gives you like a rush. It gives you like a like yeah. Your your mind fires up, and he's like, "Dude, be careful. You can get addicted to these things." I'm like, "I am not getting addicted to your fucking cigarette. Yeah. Just relax. I'm just gonna take one puff of a cigarette." That's how I feel about stuff like um, certain things. Like when I told my mom I did acid, <laughs> and I told people in the south I do acid, they think, Don't, "You know what happened to your father? Why would you go down the same path?" Oh God, they think it's the I'm same. Like, path. I'm trying to live. You know what I mean? Trying to see things different. I understand what he went through. But, and also, I came back as Moses also. So that didn't help. Excuse me, what? I came back like. What do you mean you came back? I met God. Oh, after you did that. These are the instructions. Everything's going to be okay. I seen life. I seen death. I time traveled. Mm. Yeah, that sounds pretty uh, trippy. They'd be like, God damn it, Byron. You went nutty. All, Hanging not, around with those white people, but it, that adds on to the fact they already think I went nutty for for gr- graduating, saying I'm gonna do stand up. So they were right. Then it's like it's confirming. What? They're confirming that they were right. Oh well, yeah, in a sense, they already yeah, think you like, went nuts. This guy's already. He's out there. I don't know what he's doing. Doing acid, getting crazy. He's he's telling jokes. Hippies. He's telling jokes. Tell I got introduced like, yeah, this is my nephew who graduated from college, the one who say he gonna go tell jokes. Like it's a joke? Yeah, I got introduced as that. And F- tell him how much Kevin Hart makes. Hmm? I said, tell tell those people how much Kevin oh, Hart this, makes. Oh, yeah, this is before Kevin. This is before Kevin. Well, t- tell them how much Jamie Foxx made. Tell them how much, I mean, fill in the blank. Go to Martin Lawrence. Work yeah. your way up. A million different fucking comedians. Like, g- graduating from college is a less likely scenario than if you're actually funny, making a lot of money doing stand-up. Yeah. You know? Like I, I, it's now. Now you're at the point. People be like, "This is all you do," and I'm like, "Yeah." And they like, "Oh snap!" <laughs> <laughs> they realize now that you're. I was in Dominican Republic, well. and they was like, "What you do?" I was like, "I talk to people for a living." And they was like, "That's all." I was like, "Yeah." They was like, 
Man. Well, sort of. You got to write some shit down. You got to figure out what's funny about what you're about to say. It's a little more complicated than that, but yeah, at the end of the day, yeah, that's all it is. I call it communication. That's all. Yeah. You know, at this level, uh, the level I'm at. It's interesting now because I'm in a weird space as far as stand-up. Weird space? To me. How so? Not as far as the show business, should I say. Show business. How so? Because it's a place in show business where art meets the the business part. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's when it gets interesting. That's when the fight begins of, like, you know, uh, do a, what platforms can I can this be allowed on? Or, okay, you're going to put me on a show with five people. I want to do a show with just myself, you know, and those things. Or... You got agents now, and you ask them to book you, and then you don't hear from them for five months. You know, so that was that weird part of just learning that part of the show business. Navigating the waters of sharks. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. Daniel Tosh and I were at the improv. Name drop. Watch me. Uh, we were at the improv the other night, and uh, there was this one dude who was a manager. who's kind of a shifty character. And uh, Daniel came over, and he was like, that guy gives me the creeps. And I tell him, I go, you know what that guy said to me once? He said to me, you're the one that got away. And uh, he said, dude, he said the same fucking thing to me. And then Tosh even tweeted it to me <laughs> with a bunch of S's at the end of it. Like, yeah. It's, there's going to be those guys. But if you find someone that's good, you know, you develop a good relationship with a good agent and a good manager. It's like everything else, man. You can come to Hollywood and meet a bunch of crazy actors or you can meet a bunch of artists. You know, you yeah. can meet a bunch of people that are completely out of their fucking mind, full of shit, doing meth, doing Adderall all day, promising you the world, never delivering shit. Or you can meet some of the people that you and I know from the comedy store. Yeah. And like you're in a family. Like you're part of the comedy store family. Yeah, right? that's true. You go down there and there's so many of us. I mean, I hate to keep bringing it up, but this, that's, it's, like, it's a goddamn love fest at that place, you know? It's very interesting. It's beautiful, right? People are like, oh, that's a weird... The energy is bad. Not anymore. And I'm like, it's a, it's a frat in a way, you know, and this it's a it's a thing. It's a different place for sure yeah. than it's ever been before. But there's there's no bad energy at the comedy store. That's a, that's a goddamn hug fest. Well, I I, I I felt a little something when I first went there. That's probably uncomfortable. You know what brought me to the store? Honestly, what? um, I, cause I started in the urban rooms and they didn't want to book me cause it was too far. It was too experimental. My style. So uh, I was like, I'm going to try to get in the comedy store. And I was like, I broke in the clubs before. I know how tough it is or whatever. And they was like, they, you can't go there. They don't they don't let black comics in. They they racist. And I was like, they racist? I was like, man, I've been dealing with racism my whole life. That's easy. That's a mental thing. <laughs> and that's what I did. Well, do you think the comedy store was racist? That's what I heard. Who said that? Like, a lot of black comics were saying that when I got here. I bet they were. Well, it's a different, you know, it's a different style, first off, and uh, racism is mental. Like, you know, to me, Hollywood is racist. You go in the room, they'll be like, too light, too dark, too tall, too short, too fat. But then it's sexist, then it's, yeah, uh, it's a able, stuff. ageist, then it's yeah. it's uh, sizist, like if, if they, they don't like fat people. There's a lot of things that Hollywood is, but it's because they're trying to fill a part. Yeah. They have an idea in their head of what it's going to be. And I'm like, if you let that get to you. I had went through so much mentally that I was like, that ain't going to stop. That's nothing. But, yeah, but still, if they were racist, they still wouldn't hire you. Like, it's not... The, what the comedy store is, is 
they get a lot of pressure to be more, you know, this, more diverse, more. I, I know I, I've seen it. I, I've talked to them about it. Yeah. But what they try to do is just book the funniest people. That's what they always try to do. Just before the guy was booking, it was fucking crazy. But in his idea, he probably thought he was doing the right thing. He did. Well, that's how I made it through that. You know what I mean? So everything else. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So everything else was easy. I sat there and listened to the talks. And <laughs> you let it. You could let it affect you, or you can, or you could be like, "Fuck it." Well, people don't know the, the that that stopped like what, like two years ago. That guy stopped working there. Yeah. And uh, from then on, it's become a completely different environment. It's, it's insane now. It's I'm, so much better. And I'm glad I'm a part of it. Uh, like as far as making the cut, because the talent. As far as what people got going on, I still feel like a regular comic compared to what the people that I'm on stage with now. Mm. And that says something about me, how I feel confident-wise, but it also let me know, like, you know, I got to get, you know, whatever else I need to get done, done. You know what I mean? Like, I should be, like, a monster big boy. I feel like I should be a monster big boy. A monster big boy? Amongst amongst the oh. big boys. You know what I mean? <laughs> I get it. Amongst like, the like, big boys. Because after a while, you do rooms, and you're the funniest person in the room, and that can make you cocky. Right. But then one night, somebody don't show up, or somebody don't want to follow Joe Rogan, and you have to follow Joe Rogan. And then you learn what season is on a different level. And you can't cheat your way of being seasoned in anything. You know? You no, got to you put cannot. your time in. You got to put your time in. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things the comedy store has always been very good at is yeah. giving guys opportunities <clears throat> because of the fact that also there's a bunch of people on it at night. There might be, you know, I mean, yeah. how many people are on an average lineup? It's like 13 or 14 12. people. 12. 12? It's 12. I think. So yeah. 12 people doing 15 minute sets and the show goes on all yeah. night. And so you're going to get some opportunities if you're a young guy or a young girl to go on like right after a Chris D'Elia or right after, yeah. uh, you know, a Joey Diaz or Ron White. You, you get a chance to see these people take these tough spots after they just watched. You go on after Ron White. You're going on after someone these people love. Yeah. They love that guy. Yeah. They come to see him. They're excited when he's there. They, they're all googly-eyed. They, they, I mean, that was their time. Yeah. Like they, there's a bunch. If, if Ron White's at the comedy store, there's a good chance that a bunch of people in the audience came there specifically to see him. So if you go on right after him, yeah. you have to introduce them to the world of Byron Bowers. You know, it takes a little time. You got to like ease them in. You got to relax them that now, you know, Ron's gone. I know he's only here for 15 yeah. minutes, but he's gone. And now I'm going to come up. And it's it's a very, very unique environment in that sense because it, it gives us a, a chance to also see how other people do that and also see... I mean, you're going to get a chance to see 12 different people's styles if you sit there the whole night. Yeah, that's true. It's so much difference in their style. And so funny. So much, I mean, big difference between you, who's really funny, and a guy like Michael Costa, who's already really funny. Or, or, or uh, as well, all really funny. But when you look at the two of you guys together, what you both have in common is that you both have like all this really cool potential. And you might see that 10 times yeah, that's that true. night. So you and know, it, and it's weird because Tommy told me this. He was like, "Look, we started you in the belly. We're gonna put you in a late night." He broke the whole thing down for me. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Your stuff is regional, right?" He's like, well, "I'm gonna put you up in front of these international people at two o'clock in the morning." And I was like, "What?" And what happened was, I started learning how to communicate what I thought was funny mm. versus tell jokes. 
Right. And then he said, by the time we put you in the main room with these guys to do theaters, you will learn how to perform in front of a group of people between two hundred and twenty thousand. Yeah. By the time you master these rooms. So he and to me, like regardless, he was, I listen to what people say he told to them, but he didn't have those conversations with me. He just made it. It just prolonged what I thought I was ready for. Mm. But by the time I got to the main room, and I'm used to doing these intimate or alti rooms, and I'm performing behind like you or Louis, and I'm seeing like, oh, this is a broader audience, and I gotta perform. I gotta walk the stage. I gotta. I can't do it like I've been doing it in the OR. Right. I gotta. I gotta up the ante, and it made me grow as a comic. And I tell people now, like, yeah, you perform in the main room at midnight. You're going to be just as strong as somebody who does it at 8 o'clock by the time it's all over. And when you go to another club and you get an 8 o'clock spot, boom, you're going to kill it. Yeah. You know? It's like running with weights on. Yeah. For like sure. I, I just taped CISO for this HBO. Uh, I was at Just for Lab and I did that gala show they have there. And they we had to do a warm-up show. And my warm-up was so strong, I had to close the taping. You know? I had to close the taping. because they. Mean? Because they had me, like, up at a certain oh, time. Oh, you had to close the show. Yeah, they had oh. to, yeah, I had to close the taping. And I didn't want to close the taping, but in their mind, they was like, no, you're strong enough to do this. Hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and my first time with the Montreal, I went up first doing my audition. Montreal Comedy Festival? Yeah, the first time I did the, uh, my, the callback that got me to Montreal, I went up first, and I didn't want to go up first, but the set was so strong it affected the next three comedians after me because people were just staring at them. And when you do content, like you but got... It, but did it affect them or did they just not be that good? Well, Because that's a lot of what it is, right? It's like when someone sees you kill, what the one of the big things that happens and one of the beautiful things about the comedy store, about what you're talking about going on after all these yeah. different people that are killing, is you learn how to relax. There's a lot of it. What happens is when a guy has to go on after someone that's really strong is that they panic. And when they panic, they can't even be themselves, which is not as funny as that guy. Yeah, that's true. I used to feel that was a big thing that happened to me. I would always go on after, um, uh, there's a, a ton of guys that are going after, but one of the ones who I'd always bomb after was Martin Lawrence. He was just too good back then. Yeah, he was too true. good and too famous and too popular. And, and he, you know, he would do like 45 minutes and then I would do whatever like 15 minutes after him yeah and i always bombed but i always that was the spot that i got and i realized like a bunch of things was i would see hear my own jokes come out and knew they were not good like i didn't think they were good yeah so i realized like okay i've got to like change pretty much everything about my approach because what i'm doing is i got comfortable i found like a little area that i could sort of uh, write and perform in and these are these are the jokes that i've sort of got and try to work with and I didn't try to expand enough. And when you get stuck into a situation where you have to kind of duke it out for survival, it makes you reassess. Like, why, true. why is all this bad? Like, what's what's going wrong? Like, what am I? And people don't like doing that because if you do, everybody wants to think they're a finished product. Right? That's like no. that's the comfort zone, yeah. right? Everybody wants to stay inside their comfort zone. This is it. I'm good. I'm pretty happy with the way things are. Like, okay. But if you do that, like, you're it's going to take too long. Like, if you really want to get you you want to be like a Martin Lawrence. Like, it's, you're not going to do it by being comfortable. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, that's true. That's why I came up to you that night. I had to follow you and was like, yo, that was some heavy weights right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Off alone, just content. Like, yeah, just the content and life experiences. And saying stuff. I'm learning, like, okay, if I tell these these stories about 
my dad's schizophrenia and stuff, they don't even have to be the funniest. They're just so interesting. They hold weight. Yeah. That if a funny guy come up and talk about relationships, people still going to be like, man, that last shit was crazy. But when I started doing that, people weren't just coming up to me saying, you funny no more. They were just like, man, that's that. I know what that's like because my aunt is paranoid schizophrenic. And to me, that's the universe saying, aha, now you're on to something. But that only comes through failure. To me, like, you improve through failure. Mm-hmm. Like, the light bulb was invented through failure. You know what I mean? Not through getting it right the first time. It took 10,000 times for that thing to get perfect, you know? So Yeah. I think also what you, I think a, a big part of what you just said that's important is you were talking about the way it feels when you're listening to it. That it's, it's not like your standard relationship stuff, that it's something that's in in some ways more more enticing, right? It's an interesting subject. Like, yeah. oh, schizophrenia. Hmm. Like, there's something, there's weight to it, right? Yeah. It's honest. It's honest. Like, my my Black Lives Matter stuff is honest, and it's not going to get me liked by people, but it's how I feel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's... And it's, it's, it's even to me, it's a little messed up how I feel about the situation, but it's honest at the moment how I feel about this. Well, how do you feel about it? Can well, you talk about it? Well, I can, but to me, not the. It's the worst part of me about the video is that he got shot in front of a Toyota Camry, and I'm like, that's how shallow I am. If it was me, I would have found a Benz or something to crawl near, <laughs> just because I know it's gonna look good because I'm about to go viral, right? And I want to look good before I get turned into a hashtag. Because that's what the police are doing is turning niggas into hashtags. And I turned to somebody that looked white. I was like, you know the average lifespan for a young black man, 25, but hashtags live forever. So it's the thing about fear, death, and shallowness. And, like, that's the complexity of, like, my bits. But I have to admit, and that's a true how I really felt. You know, when he, when he hit the car, and I was like, oh, that the car was bouncing. I'm like, look at the suspension on that. <laughs> But that's what makes it funny to people. You know what I mean? That's what makes it funny to people. But I have to learn to, you know, as artists, we learn. And you do this, you learn to let go of those things. But it, the more work I don't get, the more honest I become. Because you, you stop really trying to fit in. And you don't care if they're trying to book a nice black guy no more. You get past You take another jacket off. You take another shirt off. So you just up there with no shirt on. Like, look, I'm in my 30s. I got wrinkles right here now. But I never got laid more in my life. You know, like, it's just honest, like, uh. And it's something relieving. It's something, whatever. From a kid who was quiet growing up and held everything in, it's such a release into being able to put this stuff out. Yeah, that's probably something a lot of people don't understand, right? Do you feel yeah. a lot of people don't understand that? Like, that where you're coming from is not just where you are now, but it's where you started out. Yeah. Like and it, the, you you you're taking particular joy in your freedom. It's it's particularly unusual the way you're expressing yourself. Yeah. And it's and it's it's being vulnerable. It's that vulnerability that people talk about. But as you grow, as I grow as a person, my comedy has grown. Yeah, that's got to happen. Yeah. It doesn't if it doesn't happen. I read something in the day on Jen Kirkman and it was talking about uh she was talking about Comedy is one of those things that you, you actually do get better at when you get older, and it's one of those things—a rare thing for women too—that they're still like, like a forty-year-old woman doesn't have a lot of opportunity as an actress. You know, I mean, kind of play some mom roles and stuff like that. Yeah. As far as like to lead something, but a forty-year-old comic 
like a lot of them are just kind of getting started. Yeah, that's really, true. Like, look at Sarah Silverman. She's better now than ever. Man. And she's like, what is she, like 46 or something like that? She's fine. She, like, like everything. Like, attractive. And sexing is with a woman. Like, it just it's, it just grows on them. It's not, it's not the way you look. It's the way you carry yourself and the way you move when you talk. So you're trying to say you're a fan? You're sending I mean, out the bat signal? To no, Sarah I mean, Silverman? I told her that before, but I look at it like, I'm talking about like all women now, you know what I mean? You told her that before? Yeah, I told her she was an attractive looking woman, you know what I mean? Like, I've been in the green room with her, respected <laughs> the boundaries, you know what I mean? Not stared at her while she looked down at her notebook and worked on her bits, but... She's a very nice person, too. Yeah, she's, she's nice. Friendly. She's nice outside of that. Don't get all, like, yeah, no, feminist no, for sure. and shit, but... For sure. She's real friendly, too. She's, uh... And by the way, I'm talking about all women with that. Ladies, you like if you have self-esteem problems like we all do and don't think, oh, because your hair doesn't look a certain way, it's all there. But it, it kind of comes when you stop giving a fuck, you know. You mean sexiness? Yeah. In some ways, yeah, because people that are like super nervous about everything, every aspect about them, they get, uh, they're draining. They're exhausting because you know that there's a lot going on there. There's too yeah. much chaos. It doesn't allow you to be comfortable. When someone's comfortable in their own skin and they don't give a fuck, like, it's like, oh, I kind of like being around you. Yeah. You relax me. You let me know that it's okay to not give a fuck. That's what, that's like the benefit of the true not give a fuck people. True not give a fuck people make you appreciate things better. Women say I look sexy now and it's like, what? what? Who are they? Why are they lying to you? I don't know why they lying. It's something, (laughs) some energy they feel. And I don't believe them. (laughs) Because to me, I'm still that kid. No, with the, the, look, you're a talented guy. That's what it is. But then my mom's still that kid with the scar on his face yeah. and the crooked teeth, you know? Well, you're you're a handsome black Thank gentleman. You. And you're funny as Do shit. Do I smell good, though, Joe? You smell like roses? That like... <laughs> That's what I hear. But, you know, I mean, talent is a big thing, too, right? I mean, yeah. You see a lot of uh, talented people in all all sorts of different businesses, even even like businessmen. Like a businessman is, well, she's just after him for his money. Maybe. You know, maybe that guy has that really beautiful wife because they're just after him for his money. Or maybe they're attracted to his talent for being successful. Like, there's a little bit of that, too. It's not just the money. Yeah. Like, I don't think women would be as attracted to a guy who just won the lottery and got <laughs> $500 million as they would to some guy who's some media mogul yeah. who started his own business, built it up into an empire, and now has $500 million. That's true. Those guys are different. Like, they have that wizard air about them. Like, this guy, like, you know, like a certain type of, a, like Elon Musk. Do you know how much pussy Elon Musk must have to beat away from him? Yeah. How many girls are just... Bombing on him just constantly because he's a super genius multi billionaire with several successful businesses. He invented fucking PayPal. He's b- built his own cars that run on electricity. He's making a fucking rocket ship to go to the moon. He's making a hyperloop that's going to go s- to San Francisco in 30 seconds or whatever the fuck. And it I'm is. still questioning. I looked at his stock today and I still question should I get it? But a part of me like this is gonna be like the next General Electric. That's what I'm telling people in my mind. The thing, the thing he's gonna do with energy, you know. He's doing that with everything. He's a super winner. Yeah. There's there's certain guys that are just super winners, and he seems to come without any of the baggage that most super winners come with. You know, there's a lot of baggage that most most of these like crazy entrepreneur type characters. Yeah. They're also 
geniuses come with. He doesn't seem to, he's like remarkably stable for someone who's that fucking smart and successful. He's like a goddamn alien, that guy. It's weird because I hear chicks talk about the Silicon Valley guys who made money now. And it's like, it's like, they said, yeah, they nerds, but now they got money and power. So they act like that. When you yeah. see them out, they 10 women, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kissing all on their neck and acting like the guys who used to beat them up. The jocks, mm, you know what I mean? They get bullied. But if you look at the Warren Buffets and the the uh, Bill Gates and the guys who were just like, yeah, this is my lady right here. Mm-hmm. I spent all my other time working on algorithms. But it's a new day now, you know? Warren Buffett still lives in the same fucking house in Omaha. Yeah. Me and Hannibal was uh, in that neighborhood. Did you see his house? Nope. But we Airbnb'd a property and they stared at us. <laughs> When you Airbnb a property in that community and you have to have a cookout at 5 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you're going to get some stairs the next day. You had a cookout at 5 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, a show after party and then... Was it like, were you making a lot of noise or something? Uh, I don't think so. Just the average noise that, you know, people make after they leave the club. At That's the, pretty loud. You know, stumbling around. Utensils. 5 o'clock in the morning? That shit would be annoying as fuck if you live next door to that house and, you know, you're trying to get some sleep. I think so, probably. I yeah. mean, the house across the street had three Volvos in the driveway. I was like, oh, that's a lot of safety. Yeah, that's a lot of white people. That's too much safety. They must be furious at you for waking them up. I think that up. was a little upset. I don't know who woke them up, but the grill was outside. and um, So they could smell it. Yeah. And they, they had Chilean bass, and we was we came with an appetite. you know. But don't you think that that was probably pretty loud? Like, how loud were you guys? I don't think it was that loud, but I fell asleep. Oh. But it was, we did turn people away, though, you know. How many people were there? I don't think it would probably be like five or seven, but more came, but. That's chaos. Five or seven, seven people that are a lot awake at five o'clock in the morning, those people were probably lit up, loud as fuck, barbecuing, doesn't bother you? I slept well. I don't bother me, but at the same time, I don't, if I look at it from my neighborhood, my Latin neighborhood that I live in, and they bring that bouncy castle over and they play the mariachi at five o'clock in the morning. Which happens, Does I'll it? be like, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. I don't hate on them, though. Right, but that's their, That's the neighborhood that you chose to live in, Yeah. right? That's what they do. Like, you're saying you live in a Mexican neighborhood? Yeah. Mexican people have some fucking parties. They got roosters in my you neighborhood. just got a deal. They, get, they oh, go yeah. off at 5 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning. Dude, my gardener uh, had the son of one of my dogs, my gardener's friend of mine, Yeah. and uh, he's cool as fuck. Doesn't speak very much English, but he's, he's cool as fuck. He's got like a hundred fucking roosters, a hundred of them yeah. in his yard. His yard is like, like a a, a chicken fighting ring. <laughs> chicken fighting is different, man. It's funny. Like you tell people that you know somebody that fights dogs, yeah, and they look at you like, what a monster, what yeah. a horrible person. Because dogs are really complex and. They love you. They have give you unconditional love, and for you to violate that and making them fight each other is fucked up. I get it. I agree with it 100. percent I'm not saying that, but you tell people that you know somebody who fights chickens, and they go, "Really? Like they don't even get grossed yeah. out." I mean, there's some super vegans who probably get really pissed off or animal rights activists, but the average person doesn't give a fuck about a chicken. And if those chickens are fucking each other up with spurs on, they put like razor blades on their their back feet. Yeah, and they I- cut each other up. I noticed that. I saw a tape before Vic went down of a, a recruitment training tape. Mm-hmm. And that was my first time seeing the animals electrocuted and how do you breed them and stuff like that. This was a real it's tape good. that was going around the hood 
because people was fighting yeah. these animals. And I know people that executed dogs that I'm closely friends with, you know what I mean? And it's very, you know, interesting situation. But once again, you talking about people who was like, oh, we was treated worse than that, you know. Right. It's still that innately that's in you, but it's shocking when people come out against dogs like that. And that's why you have certain communities like, oh, what? We get shot by the cops or, you know, and all this other stuff. Well, there's certain communities where dog fighting is super normal, too. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's normal. It wasn't. A... But I don't mean normal in that it's like less offensive than how the adult human beings are treated in that neighborhood. I mean, it's a part of the culture. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, yeah. 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 In the South. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I know a dude who had like 30 dogs. He used to keep 30 dogs in his yard. He's a professional pool player. He had a big-ass yard down in, uh, I think he was in K- Kentucky. And he, 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 there was part of what he gambled on. He, yeah. he had dogs that they would, uh, they'd train and they would fight him. You know, and the the person that I am right now looks at that and goes, well, that, that that's a fucking terrible thing to do. Like, why would you do that? Like, that that should be absolutely illegal. But him, whatever his life was like, him growing up in wherever he grew up, yeah, that was a normal thing. So I, uh, I absolutely judge him. I absolutely judge anybody that does that. But it's weird. But I understand. Yeah, it's weird. Like, and to me, I think understanding comes from me personally. Like, if if we could really assess ourselves and look at our demons and accept our demons. Right for how bad like that we could possibly do some real fucked up things. Right, then it will make us judge each other less, and then a conversation could be had to try to understand. Mm. But yeah, it's certain things that you see that you accept depending on where you you are. You know what I mean? Yeah, and well, in a lot of ways, then what you're saying is like <clears throat> those those principles of life and those things that you're talking about, like these different patterns that you see in electronics or in the universe. You kind of see that in life. You see that in comedy, too, yeah. right? Like exactly what you were talking about in comedy, like having go through things, making mistakes, making things like really obvious and then realizing, whoa, I got to look at this for yeah. what it really is versus people who look at things through a distorted perception. Like most of the people that you know that have distorted perceptions of their own abilities or distorted perceptions of their own life or where they fit in in the world – those are the people that don't progress because they're not looking at themselves. Yeah. They're not they're not taking these assessments of themselves accurately. So they're not moving forward. They stay where they're at cuz they think that where they're at with whatever they're trying to do is good enough or is perfect or is better than it really is. That's true. But uh, yeah, and I what I learned from my last my acid trip <laughs> that the one you saw me the day after is that Yeah. the in art and in our genes, because I saw an idea or I saw conception, what I told you, yeah, it moves everything forward. Like art moves everything forward. And the gene, like you have a child or you have an idea that moves the culture or the human species and everything continues to evolve and move forward. Yeah. And without those things, we would we continue to make the same mistakes or we're stuck with certain things you know yeah we're fueled by these things that we create whether they're innovation or whether they're a piece of art a movie you know we were fueled by these things and sometimes in a negative way i mean how many people have you met 
that act like a movie. Like they think they they say things like they're in a movie. Oh yeah, a bunch of people. I know a dude who got into a fight with another dude, and as they were scrapping, like as they're about to fight, he goes, "Tonight we dine in hell." <laughs> he yelled that out at him, and the dude told me, "I'm like, are you fucking serious?" He's like, "Yeah." He really, he really said that to me. Oh, that's hilarious. And right the guy there. was like, what? Did you fucking say tonight we dine in hell? And so they get in a fight, and the, other guy, the, the guy who didn't say that turned out to be a really good wrestler. So the whole thing was a disaster for the other guy. Well, that guy did dine in hell. <laughs> the guy who said that dined in hell that night. Well, not I mean, it's just he thought he was in a fucking movie or something. I mean, he was drunk, too. There's a lot going on, right? Oh, that's amazing. But it's just that movie's create these scenarios in yeah. people's minds that they almost want to reinvent in the real world if a similar situation presents itself you know yeah you really think you could say something that fucking stupid <laughs> i mean i would i've said some things before that sound poetic you know what i mean and you know especially in the throes of passion you know the throes of passion by byron oh that even Bowers. sounds poetic you know what i mean hmm. That should be a that should be the title of your first Netflix special, The Throws of, Throws Passion, of Passion by Byron Bowers. And you just sitting there with your legs crossed with like some nice slippers on in front of a fire. That's what I call it now. <laughs> Reading a book. That's what I call it now. I don't even say uh, fucking no more. Mm, I call no? it because I feel I do something a little more. A little more know, creative. A little more different. I don't call it creative. There's a lot more involved. Yeah, it's a little more. There's a little more passion involved. You know? So you're trying to separate yourself, like you're branding your style of fucking. Well, I wouldn't do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> That'll be interesting. That's a lot of fucking right there. Well, you think about how many different kinds of music there is. There's only one kind of fucking, you know? Like, it, it, music is a style of expressing what's going on inside your mind, your imagination. So, yeah. does, so is fucking in a lot of ways. We should have, like, different classifications for fucking. I mean, we kind of do. We have basic bitch fucking, which is, like, missionary, little kisses. Yeah. Gorilla fucking. Gorilla fucking. Yeah, that's very important. You need a couch. You gotta stuff them in the yeah. corner of the couch. That's what gorilla fucking is about. You gotta grab a hold of things. You gotta yeah. be able to some traction. You might want to keep your shoes on. You got. You need some traction. I got this Nike rope that's leather. Well, and I, weird. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I pulled it out on this young lady, oh, and Jesus. I put it around her neck like a like it would a puppy, like a leash. Mm -hmm. And she was like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "That's the exact right thing to ask." And I was like, "Uh." Normal I, shit. I was like, I'll show you. I was like, I'll show you. Get up and try to move. When she got to try to move, I, oh, I yanked Jesus. it like that. Did she like but, it? But yeah, she liked it, and it turned her on. <laughs> and then to the fact where she wanted it around her neck, and I put it around her neck. Mm. And the more I, you know, pulled. It's a white girl, right? I don't want to say, but yeah, yeah, for sure. gotta be. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jewish, probably. You know what I mean? So <laughs> um, super liberal. Jews and blacks. Jews and blacks. No, so. As I'm pulling it, she got more turned on. Whoa. And then she died. So she started licking my thing. And I got oh, to a part. Because I'm a skinny dude. Arm? She started licking your arm? I'm a skinny dude. So my, right. my, my wrist was shaking like this. And in my mm. mind, I was like, this ain't me. You know. And then I just, I just let the ropes go. Hmm. Followed your instincts. Your instincts were to not kill her. That's good. Oh, she wasn't going to die. I don't think I'm that strong. I think you could definitely kill someone with a belt around their neck. No, it was a leather rope. Well, it's kind of like the same thing, isn't it? Leather rope, a belt. What kind of leather? Very good. Very good leather, you know what I mean? <laughs> very good leather. It seems like you could definitely kill somebody with a rope it would hurt. Neck. It would hurt if you, if you hit them with the leather, you know. Well, then you can kill them. If you can, like, p 
pull hard enough, you could kill somebody with any kind of like thin wire. I think I could probably kill someone with a boot lace. That's probably true. I'm not pretty sure I could. It. That's probably true. Be careful out there, people. If I got a good grip on it, yeah, it's a. It's not hard. The the, the human neck is real vulnerable. You know the weird part about that is having a condom on. You know, and then doing that's it at the same time. hilarious. Yeah, like what part of this is safe? Like. <laughs> 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 That's hilarious. She's got ligature marks on her neck, and yeah. but STD. She didn't get AIDS, but she still STD died. Free. <laughs> yeah, rough sex is fucking strange, man. You got to be real careful with that because if you do weird shit and beat each other up, and the girl goes to the cops, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, especially not the same race. And that's when black oh. people be like, "I told you, I told you." I was reading about this thing in Toronto. Um, there was this uh, this judge in Toronto that sentenced this man. He was convicted of rape, and he had consensual sex, in his opinion, with this woman. And this woman had sent him these text messages saying, you know, come on over, let's have some savage sex, and this and that. And then afterwards, when he broke up with her, she decided, or after they had a bunch of these experiences, I forget how it works. Yeah. Either way, she lied to the judge and to the court about sending those texts and because she had deleted them, but then they somehow or another recovered them, and they found out that she lied about that, and she lied about a few other things, too. But the judge started quoting all this feminist theory and quoting different feminist writers and uh, wound up getting this guy convicted, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. Like, as soon as someone says... I did not send him a text asking him for sex. And then you find out they did, in fact, send yeah. that text asking them for sex, and it deleted. Well, then you've got reasonable doubt. Like, instantaneously, you have doubt, because you have to go, okay, what about the rest of this stuff you're telling me isn't true? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't force her to give him a blowjob or that he did. I don't know. I wasn't there. He doesn't. The, the judge doesn't know either. Yeah. But in my opinion... You instantaneously have to have reasonable doubt when you find out that someone's willing to lie about certain aspects of what happened. Yeah. So uh, I was I was watching this and I was listening to this uh, this woman um, from what is that? Was that conservative website, The Blaze or something like that? Is that what it is? That Glenn Beck thing? Is that it? Is that The Blaze? She did this breakdown of it, and I was like, God. It's so it's so dangerous when you get involved with crazy people. You're sticking your dick in crazy people. Like you don't you don't really know what's gonna happen. Like you're you're there choking that girl with a rope and she's licking your arm. Like where's this gonna escalate to? You know you can only, things oh, only easy a Volvo and a, a house and kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> the only place to go. Or she doesn't know that you've been snipped, and uh, you don't tell her. That uh, you 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 can't get her pregnant, so you keep pumping loads into her, and you got to keep ramping up the sex. And so now she's wearing a helmet, and you're fucking driving her through a wall. Oh, that'll be interesting right there. <laughs> but you you doing that to make her happy, but you really don't like it at all. Yeah, both of you are confused. She thinks it makes you happy, but you think it makes her happy, and you're just giving her CTE and <laughs> throwing her head through wallboard. I mean, someone has for sure put a helmet on, and someone fucked them from behind and slammed their head through a wall. That's 100%, right? That's yeah. definitely happened. I, I think so. What are you looking up, Jamie? I was looking up this case, but I, I stumbled across something I haven't seen before. Did you know Canadian lawyers have to wear an outfit like this? 
Thank God. Wow. So you know they're ridiculous. I looked up Canadian lawyers and they're all Good Lord. It. All the lawyers have to dress like that? That's hilarious. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Look at this fucking outfit they have on. They might as well be working at like one of those uh, reenactment restaurants, uh, like no, medieval right? times. <laughs> That's so stupid. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's why none of them are smart. They got wigs too? They all they are barristers. Ooh, wow. Male barristers make more than double their female. Um, what does it say there? It's dot dot dot. What does it say? Do the female have to wear wigs too? I didn't see that. That's just very good question. That's very good question. That would be bullshit. Oh, their female colleagues. Male barristers with their ridiculous wigs. That is goddamn hilarious. Wow. That's that's in Australia though. That you just pulled up. Still, there's parts of the world makes you wonder, like, what would happen if the United States hadn't been formed? There's parts of the world that are still wearing wigs when they're doing their law stuff. Ooh, she's hot as fuck. Well, the outfit classic just portrait of a woman in Canadian law. Dude, she don't have to wear a wig, but the outfit looks <clears throat> better on her. You want her to visit you in jail? No. She tells you, "I'm sorry." Didn't mean to convict you, and I'm gonna work to get you out. She don't have no oatmeal. She better not. She better come with a different outfit. In jail, you have to bring in oatmeal. Yes, I mean she looked like she would carry some Quaker State. <laughs> so what's it called? Wait, Quaker State is oil. Quaker State. I mean uh, Quaker oats. Quaker yeah. oats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like some. That's a funny one, right? Like, what the fuck does Pilgrims have to do with oats? Did they grow the oats? Is that what the deal is? Is he? He's a Quaker. It's not a Pilgrim, right? So he's a Quaker. Quaker oats. That's like uh, that's like saying uh, I'm gonna buy Mormon granola, right? <laughs> Imagine how many people would buy Scientology flakes. Oh, that'll be dope, right? I mean, that's exactly what it is. They're clear. Ca how about Catholic crisp? That's my morning <laughs> cereal. I enjoy Catholic crisp. Everybody eat out the same bowl. Yeah. How can why, what is Quaker oats? It's religious cereal. What? What is it? What the fuck does a Quaker have to do with anything? They didn't know. give a fuck about Quakers. Quakers were so innocuous that they were willing to use them as props. It's like the way they sell Klondike bars with polar bears. They used a Quaker just as wow. a prop. That was the first. That was the first. <laughs> right? That's hilarious. Don't you think that's what they did? That do make sense. Totally. I bet Quakers have fucking zero interest in Quaker oats. I bet they don't get paid. I bet they get fucked over on the commissions. I bet the Quaker oats company keeps all the money. Pepsi owns it now. There you go. Wow. Those Quakers are out there going, what the fuck? This is ours. This, this is, is our shit. This is our outfit. But you look at that outfit and you go, that's some wholesome oats. I bet that oats doesn't even swear. That oats <laughs> doesn't drink. That oats makes its own butter. That oats lives in a, in a nice nostalgic way in a field. In a, and they, they, they plow with a fucking uh, a, like a regular mechanical plow and they do everything old school. Wow. Right? My grandmother was telling me about the cotton gin last time I uh, went to see. She like 90. She on her way out. You were telling me about this. We were in the back of the comedy store. Yeah, it was interesting. And so she wasn't alive when the cotton gin was created, Her mother. Right? Her, her mother, mother was These alive. are the stories she heard. My right. grandmother was alive. I was like, what drugs did y'all do when you were young? And she said, aspirin just came out. Jesus. So that's what that was the that was the thing, you know what I mean? You mean people took aspirin for recreation? No, she was just like that was just the that was just the thing outside of like, you know, homegrown because they was farmers. My grandmother was like the remind me of the Help, the movie The Help, you know, the uh, Hills, The Help, The Help. Yeah, oh, I don't know that movie. 
It's like it's about the uh, that that black lady who raised a white family type thing. Like what movie was, is that? The Help. Is that a recent movie? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Um, who was in it? Who was in it? Whoopi Goldberg, White Family, Raised by Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Hilarity ensues. Emma Stone was in it. Uh, here's a picture of the thing. What fucking movie is this? The Help. I have no idea what this movie is. So my is. grandmother... So those two black women raised those two white women? Well, in a sense, in like the relationship that happened. Like I went to one of my grandmother's birthday parties. I think oh. she was like 80, and there was a white family there. And I was like, who are these people? And they, my family was like, shh. That's the family that your grandmother helped use the nanny for. And uh, they remained close because of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, she helped raise these young ladies. You know what I mean? Man, they fly my mom, my grandmother out to Philly to spend time with them and stuff like that. Oh. And it's a, it's an interesting, you know, situation. So uh, just to hear these stories and, you know, my grandmother telling me about when the, the cotton gin and she broke it down like, yeah, we'll take the cotton and take the seeds out and let it go. And people were amazed by this. They just watching it like, whoa. Like, that was the thing that people looked at, like, how people look at computers. Mm. Like, oh, man, what are we going to do now? Like, like the Napster revelation. Like, yeah, like, what, what are we going to do for work? Like, this thing is here to put us out of work. And yeah, how people do a day's work and got to, like she said, once slavery ended and people had to get paid. How somebody, I don't know if it was her father, somebody did a, 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 a job and they gave him a dime, you know? Wow. So now you're not getting lodging or food or nothing like that. You got to earn a wage and you get like a, a dime like for doing like some heavy, you know, things. And Whew. this is blowing my mind amongst everything else that's going on. You know, yeah. in the world, you know. You know what's crazy? That person living that life and making a dime and living in a modern, a semi-modern to us, you know, modern yeah. in its context, society, is doing so much better than someone who was born 200 years before that. Yeah. And so much better than someone, you know, any any time prior to that. So check this out. My grandmother's 90. Oh. So the women on her side of the family are longer. My My grandmother's mother died at 107. So between them two, you got over, you know, you got like over 200 years. That's incredible. So uh, it's just an interesting time frame. You know, when you when we look back at people that lived like a couple hundred years ago, we think to ourselves like, fuck that. Yeah. You know, especially if you were a slave or if you look, if even if you were a free person living in america in 1810 let's yeah. just go to 1810 just a regular person like you and i don't want to do that you don't want to go back to that fucking life like good lord good luck getting fresh milk good luck finding vegetables at, in, in most cities like good luck like getting everything delivered to you they don't even have cars yet man well the, this is a bit, this is a good thing i since i live i was born in athens my first six years in Athens is a small town where UGA is. You've been to Athens before. Mm-hmm. So everything I ate vegetable-wise was grown, you know. In, in a, that area. In the yard, in the backyard. That's amazing. The, the, the grapes were on the vine. The tomatoes came out the ground. The chickens, you know, my grandfather hauled chickens, so the chick, the eggs came out of the backyard. Wow. Yeah, hunting dogs. He shot deer. We would fish on Saturdays, cut the fish heads off get the skin off and then fry them in the yard 
He took the grapes from the uh, vines and made wine. And if he caught abundance of fish, he would keep enough for the family. And all the neighbors traded food. So my first six years is like, when you know, when you eight or ten, they put a pellet gun in your hand and you work your way up to the hunting rifles. Um, so that's what I left when I moved to the city. That's interesting. So I was a country dude. So vegetables and everything tasted good. You know, you get the corn off the stalk. And then grandma was, and corn wasn't yellow. It was like a lighter color. It was like a whitish color. So you make cream corn from scratch. Um, the preserves, it was, your jelly was made. Uh, the the rabbits, the squirrel, the pecans fell out of the tree. You start, you hungry, you just go outside anytime and grab food. You grab two peanuts, put squeeze them with your hand, and you got a snack, you know. And that's that was the first like six years. Like food was there. Wow. Beans, you put them, you get a bucket, you open them, and you you take, run your thumb thumb through them, which I didn't like none of that. But that's what that's what it was. Well, there's something beautiful about that, right? At for this sure. point, yeah. At this point, because they overcharging for that stuff now, but farming is not easy. But it look—they made it look easy. Well, it's large scale. Everybody could do it like that. You'd have to have small populations of people with good pieces of land. Like you know, I'm sure your your grandfather had to have some. My grandfather had a similar situation in New Jersey. He had a pretty good sized backyard. And yeah, it was all garden. He had his area where he would drive to his driveway, and then everything to the right of the driveway was all sticks in the ground yeah. and tomato plants. And my grandfather grew everything, and he they turned their tomatoes into tomato sauce. My yeah. grandmother made homemade tomato sauce, and like all of his vegetables, he would grow everything that he would eat all year would be like in that garden. That's a that was a normal thing for the immigrants, yeah. you know, for people who grew who came here from other parts of the world where you know you had to have a, a supply of food where yeah, you lived. That's true. I mean, it only makes sense. We've figured out a way to truck things in. People have, you know. Yeah. Once we start trucking things in, nobody grows anything anymore. I heard a story about people like not my uncle and his friend. I having money and they put three hundred dollars together and bought a goat and ate off that goat. You know, um, smart. Yeah, they fed it a little bit and then they ate off of it for like a month. Yeah, if um, you if you kill a goat in your yard though, and people find out about it, this is my friend. Uh, I don't need to say his name, but my gardener guy that I was talking about earlier. Yeah, he uh, had. Well, his name's Jose. It's not like you don't know you don't know which Jose yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, probably, I, don't, I don't want to give away his identity. And it's probably Jose Canseco. You know, no, no, no. Like, but this uh, he uh, he got a goat. And uh, him and uh, his uh, his friends killed it in the yard and uh, butchered it, and then they had a cookout. And uh, the neighbor complained apparently, and uh, he didn't understand. Like he was like, "What are you like? Like what's bothering you about this? Like what is?" He didn't like. He literally didn't yeah. understand. He's like, "It's safe. It's healthy." Like this is an animal I know. I know where the the meat's coming from. You know, he's trying to explain this to me in his broken English. Yeah, he's like, I know where this animal's meat comes from. Like, why would anybody have a problem with that if you if you buy meat yourself? I don't know. Like, he didn't understand. You know, he came from Mexico. He did yeah. just did not understand why someone would have a problem with him killing a goat in a yard. It's like, of course I killed the goat in the yard. Where do you want me to kill it? Yeah, like he, it didn't make sense to him. They're like, you can't kill a goat in the yard. He's like, where the fuck do you kill your goat? And like you don't kill your goat. Yeah, it's strange. Like, well, like, well, where do you get your meat? You go to the store. He's like, well, but you don't know where that fucking meat even came from. Yeah. And his idea that was alien. It's the logic, man, of how things happen. Um, it's weird. 
And you like, yeah, if you talk to older people, you you understand like struggle, you know, mm-hmm. um, and what people, you know, actually went through. And on the good part, like, you know, my grandma told me about the first dryer she had. And, and my granddad is like, you know, don't use it once a month. Once a month. Yeah, don't because they, you know, it's better to dry the linen in the sun. It's still better to dry your clothes in the sun because the really? sun kills bacteria. Really? That's why you wanna, if you look at how to tie it, when they say how do you take care of denim and keep it from fading, mm-hmm. they be like wet it and hang it in the sun because the sun kills the bacteria and gets rid of the smell. But wait a minute, jeans fade because of ba- bacteria? Because of the no, you want to clean your jeans because it might get smells and like when you break it in jeans, you really don't wash them like that. You know, you wear them just like everyday type stuff. And the the dye in the denim fades, and it, it, the cotton shrinks and all that if right. you wash it. So you hang them in the sun, you know? To keep it from shrinking. To keep it from shrinking. And, yeah, and the, I thought it was, the, it was heat, though, that was doing that. Just the water and then the evaporation from the extreme heat the extreme from a dryer. Heat. That's what makes them shrink, right? Yeah, but if you hang it in the sun, you still the sun still kills some of the bacteria and stuff. And Makes sense. But if you have a dry, if you have a, like... We don't do it here, but I I did something where I had to stay at a country home, and you wash like a sheet or a shirt, and you hang it in the sun, and let the air hit it, and it's just the freshness of the smell, you know. Mm. Um, and what was smart about this place, they put the lemon trees near the 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 hanging place, so now your clothes got a cit- a lemon smell to it, right? Because the the wind that comes through. That makes sense. Yeah, that actually makes sense, but. If you're in a city and it's polluted, yeah, that's different. That's different. Yeah, yeah. Your your clothes might smell funky. Like, that's the weirdest thing to me is uh, when people around people who smoke cigarettes, how strong the smell is in their clothes. That's strong. Like, I never realized it until I would uh, come home from back when you could sm- uh, smoke in clubs. Um, it was a big thing in comedy clubs, man. I mean, everybody smoked. It was yeah. just constant. You would go to a bar, everybody smoked. You would go to comedy clubs, everybody smoked. And uh, I remember not realizing what I smelled like and then taking a shower and then picking up my clothes and be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like they stunk. It smells bad. That is a weird thing, man, that people have something that gives them cancer. Yeah. It makes everyone around them stink. Like not even me. I wasn't even smoking. But being around those people made me stink. And people are like, who cares? I need my smokes. I used to smell like gasoline when I had the 944 because okay, they had a stinky. hairline crack in the gas tank. Oh, yeah. So if you fill it all the way up, the the, the fumes will get in the car. My Barracuda, I used to have to drive with the window open. <sighs> Fucking terrible smoke and fumes and shit were getting in that car. Oh, it's the worst smell. I remember that Gasoline car. smell. I remember that car and I met you <clears> and I asked you about that car and you really broke it down. Kind of what... And it was like, oh, it's a real old school car. Like the problems that people I know had were old schools. They that car was built to look great. That was the problem with that yeah. car. The suspension, the setup, and everything was very low. <clears throat> it was very low to the ground because it was so low to the ground. It would bottom out on things. Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't handle very well because it wasn't designed for that. It was just designed to be like a really low car. Like it was tubbed. So the back, the back area where the back seat is was all cut out, and then the frame was welded and bent up so that the wheel tucked deep into yeah. the back wheel well. 
It looks great. I seen it but made. It's stupid as fuck. I watched it being made, uh, and um, you know, I learned with my friends who got old school cars. Once you start, you just can't modify one thing with certain cars. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when it comes to like suspension and wheels and not doing the brakes. Well, you know what they do now that's really interesting. They do these different companies have suspensions and frames that they build for these old cars. Because yeah. that's one of the problems with those old cars. You like the suspension and the frames are just it's so whack. Yeah, like they true. don't have fully independent suspension. They're, they're the way it's all set up is so old school. So they have some upgrades and that can definitely enhance the way these cars perform. Yeah. But now they do is a certain companies like Art Morrison. They take a, a suspension and they build a frame and a suspension. Like, say if you were going to build, like, a 1969 Mustang, they would build a frame and suspension for the 69 Mustang. And then you take the old body and you bolt it yeah. down to this modern frame and suspension. And you have a car that performs infinitely Crazy. better than the original car. It's going to be way stiffer. It's way better designed. And then they have all these suspension improvements. Now they've figured out a way to make suspensions that adjust the way a modern car does so it adjusts constantly like thousands of times a second it's like if you're driving a car like if you say like you get a brand new bmw 7 series yeah those things are smooth as a baby's ass just ooh, you yeah. drive them they're so comfortable man and one of the reasons why they're so comfortable is they're the suspension is constantly adjusting it's constantly adjusting to whether it's bumpy outside or smooth and every bump that it hits it calibrates what it needs to do to adjust for this impact and you get this incredibly stabilized ride wow i'm doing a shitty job of explaining there's a lot of people right now that are car experts like you don't know shit about cars that makes sense to me. it's i know enough to kind of butcher that but this uh they've known now they know how to do that with old school cars so they can take that 1969 mustang yeah. and put a similar type of computerized suspension arrangement in it where it's constantly adjusting to the um, the the, susp- the um, terrain. They're also figuring out uh, how to do anti-lock brakes on old cars. They haven't figured out that totally yet. That's tough. That's a little bit of a struggle. My uh, A friend of mine, he he builds and sells cars, but he knows exactly which ones he liked, like the 71 Chevelle. Oh, yeah. He had the 68 Cobra, which I drove, and that was... Two cars are scary. I drove the '68 Cobra Mustang, which he put ten thousand into the motor, and it was like over five hundred horses. And if it if it rained a little bit, yeah. Uh, for me, it had a, a Kenny Bell blower on it. Oh God! And that was my first experience with a supercharger, and how hyped they are. Mm-hmm. It's like you could lose control of that car. Easy. And a, a Viper. Oh Jesus! Yeah, I drove a Viper before. Dude, I drove one of those once. And I uh, rented one. I was valet. I got lucky. And just in idle, that car goes. It just goes. Oh, yeah. Have you seen the new ones? Yeah, I saw the new ones. They have, uh, pull this up. They have this new Viper. Viper AR something, I think it's called. I think that's what it's called. Attack. They have, like, an attack mode. This thing is fucking insane. It's it's basically a race car that you could buy. But what they're doing with these Vipers is they're bringing them to these race car, these racetracks, and it just breaks Every record, every race, every racetrack they take it on, this thing break rec- breaks records, and it looks ridiculous. Even it, in curves, or just straight away? Oh, oh fuck yeah, curves! It's got giant tires on it. The tires are super wide, and it's got more than six hundred horsepower. What is it called, Jamie? ACR. ACR. That's it. ACR. 
You just gotta look at this thing. Yeah. The deep bevels in the hood. Look yeah, at that thing. Get the fuck out of here. Are you kidding me? It's supposed to be just a fucking preposterous automobile. And you could buy that at a store. I mean, it has ground effects that come right out of a race car. Yeah. But this thing is insane. When people uh, review it, when they're reviewing, that's like you in Topanga Canyon, going sideways. Went that far. <laughs> it was just a little bit. You know, if you go a little bit, it's just that's just long enough. Yes. For less than a second is long enough. Oh, for fun, yeah. To, you, you know, know, it's a great road. Keep play some more of that shit. Don't shut it off. You know, it's a great road to um, to go to. There's a road off of um, the two. Chris. Like, but Chris. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the I know what you're talking about. I don't know the name of it. It's a road off the two, but it's um like if you take the two ten, yeah, and uh, you head towards like Pasadena, and you go up into the mountains, yeah, you know, there's these crazy abandoned roads where you might not have anybody out there except maybe like a dude on a motorcycle, yeah, and everything's like turny and twisty. They do a lot of testing out there. If you go out there, you'll see like mules, like a car that uh, they cover like they would take this car and then they would cover it over with like graphics yeah. and maybe even some plastic or something so you couldn't tell what it looked like i've seen that before it's yeah. kind of dope look at that thing yeah. jesus christ yeah they trying to get me to go up to somebody's trying to get me to go up to the crest highway up there off the two and one it's fun you should go up there go up there with your car because you don't even have to drive fast to have a good time up there but i don't drive fast on any of them if, it, if there's a car in front of me i might slow up and wait for it to go by but i'm doing like 40 40 which is a lot. That's down. That's down to double for what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Well, with a car like this, you wouldn't be doing that. You'd be going a lot faster. That's the problem with these cars, as opposed to like an old car. Like, say if you got like an old BMW. You know what I really like? Those. Two thousand two. Yeah. Yeah. Love those. They're cool, man. Yeah, man. And they're <sighs> they're little and they're boxy. And yeah. but when you drive those things, apparently you feel everything. They're so small. I'll see this. See if you could pull up the smoking tire, two oh oh two. Um, he uh, some dude had a souped up one, and not even souped up like you put a giant engine. It was a, a just like a really well done version of that engine. But he's driving around in it. I met Matt before. He kind of, Matt Farrow. Yeah, he came to comedy club twice. Yeah, he's a big comedy fan. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's a, he's a real good dude, and he fucking loves cars. I know. So that. this. Is uh, give me some volume on this. This is uh, he's what I really like about him too is he's like a regular dude. Like yeah. he's he's not trying to pretend to be some super professional presenter. He's just a, a guy who knows a fuckload about cars and really loves them. And look at this thing, man. What year is that, Jamie? They build them uh, properly, from what I can see. So this 2002, 2002. is... Uh, no. Is no. No, that's the name of the car, Jamie. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you think that car is from 2002? Amazing <laughs> Doesn't say what year? I was running, too. They've swapped the interior for this Luxe package, which was only available in Europe. Uh, let's um, let's scoot ahead so you can hear what it feels like when he's driving this thing. Yeah, here we go. The M10 is an interesting motor because on the one hand it was sort of BMW's corporate engine at the time, but it actually too made much its geek. way all the way up to he Formula too One, out. and they would use these used, seasoned M10 blocks to build their crazy turbo Formula One engines. And uh, there's a really neat documentary about the history of the M10 engine. 
Okay. Pedals are great. See, he's, uh, that's what I'm saying. This dude's a serious yeah. geek when it comes to cars. Or really knows his shit, though. You know what I like when he's in the car with the person who built the car? Hey, yeah. How much time and money you put in it? Like, man, I put all this time and this money and this energy in it. And he was like, that's the prettiest, pretty. You're not going to find another car like this. And he was like, we're about to drive it. Then he'll take off. He'll be like, the brakes are a little squishy and the suspension a little off, but uh, it's got a nice little pull to it. It's like he just start off with the disc, like just dissing it off the top. Well, he just is honest. Yeah. He's honest. That's what, what I year like is about it, it? Jamie? Somewhere 66 to 77. Dope little car, man. Well, little fucking beer can though you know who out I, I met i had a chance a pleasure to meet and i used to try to i used to drive around downtown in my 944 and see if i could find him at night magnus was well, yeah magnus yeah yeah i had a pleasure of meeting somebody was trying to get rid of a uh 928 and we went over there and he showed us around oh yeah no he's a real friendly guy yeah his place is amazing too those old he's so many old porsches yeah i think he's got like one, two, three, four, five, six. He's probably got at least ten of them. No, it's more. I counted like seventeen. Just seventeen in the main, main room. Wow. And, um, and um, he got some more like the nine four fours and and nine nine uh, nine fourteens. He's got a bunch side. of turbos too. Yeah, quite a few turbos now. He really got into a turbo phase where he's buying like those nine three zero turbos. Yeah, he's an interesting character, man, because yeah. his love of... Oh, I see that. His crash, he fucked up. Oh, boom. Shit. Yeah, that was really dumb. He got a little silly. Wow. He plowed into the back or the side of uh, his car, into the back of a uh, giant... It looks like a, a car carrier. Yeah. Just... That's why you're not supposed to drive like that, Byron. It's not supposed to go sideways on public roads. I his, wasn't that side. I just, I just, my, my ass wiggled a little bit. I caught it. His cars are all like pretty reasonably horsepowered up too. Magnus's cars, like he doesn't have anything like really crazy. But uh, Sharkworks gave him one of their cars to drive around for a little, and uh, Sharkworks made an 800 horsepower GT2, and uh, Magnus uh, painted it like a different paint scheme. You know, he likes those crazy yeah. paint schemes. I got a picture with with that one. Oh, that GT2? Yeah, that's, that was sitting outside. Yeah. Um, that car scared the fuck out of me. I drove that car. Oh, for real? Scared the fuck out of me. It's one of the few cars where I drove it once. I was like, eh, I'm good. Yeah. I'm like, this is too much. Well, like, I see I see yours, and I'm like, I'm good on that. I just want to stock, you know. I like naturally aspirated because the way it pulls at a yeah. certain time, it just... It's like taking like a nice little breather in. There it is right there. Yeah, I saw That's that That's the car. That car is so fast. It just doesn't even make any sense. Oh, this thing's a riot. Let's flip back up. See, downhill with the gravity assist. See, he's, um, he's taking it around some corners here. It's actually, this is the exact same road where I took it. Oh, I was there at this time. I was there with them when they were doing this. Yeah. Um, but this car is too fast. It's too fast. I mean, it's not maybe too fast for a race car driver, but too fast for a guy like me. Because yeah. it's just, you don't, like, one of the cool things about, like, that 2002 is you get to ring the engine out. There's a lot of range where you can drive it. Yeah. You know, you rev it up, and that's where you get your power, and you, you can go plenty fast in it. But the handling of those cars, a lot of times, is connected to the lightness and the, the the whole all the feel of the car is coming from the fact that it's not there's not a lot there. This car is a totally different experience. This car is like all about managing the pedal. 
because if you stomp on the pedal, yeah. that fucking thing is going spinning. It's way too powerful. But, you know, it's one of those things where they keep coming up with new and improved cars every year. Every year, cars get faster and faster and faster, especially performance cars. They've broken the three-second barrier. A lot of cars you could buy today go zero to 60 in less than three yeah, seconds. Yeah, that's true. There's a gang of them. I want to drive a Bugatti. Fuck or, that. Or sit in one. Dude. Not drive it, but just sit in one. That might as well be a spaceship. The, uh... Those Veyrons? Yeah. Those are ridiculous. The, um... Yeah, my homeboy, he built he built this 69 Shelby. The 68 got damaged. So the insurance had to cut him a check, and he spent that money and built... Uh, a 69? A 69 that I haven't drove, and he don't drive it as much because it's worth a lot of money. Look at that, 1,200 horsepower. That's a lot. That's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous car. But I he, saw one of those the other day in Beverly Hills. Someone they, was balling. They, was it the uh, the, so the yellow hot. one? The yellow and black one? Um, No. What color was it? I don't remember what color. I want to say it was white, but it had Arab license plates on it, which is really interesting. Oh, yeah. They're, they're getting these cars and these super rich dudes from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. They bring them over for Saudi summer. See, uh, that's what's going on right now. Where we are is hot as fuck. Where they live, it's, crazy. it's way hotter. Yeah. Where they live, it's like 150 fucking degrees or something nutty. And so they come over here when they've got crazy yeah. oil money. They come over here and they bring that... Um, they bring these cars with their plates that are registered to those other places. And they drive them around. And they get away with it because they're super rich. Like it's nothing. Dude, did you see that shit that happened where these guys were racing in Beverly Hills? They were racing with a Ferrari and a GT3, a Porsche GT3. And they were fucking racing on a residential street in, in Beverly Hills. Just blah, 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 flying through fucking red lights. And... The, the neighbors saw them do it, so the neighbors all were fucking furious. They're all standing outside on their street, holding up their cameras and filming these guys, right? Here it is right here. Look at this guy's got him. Oh, it's a Ferrari. It looks like, I don't know which version, but in the, the GT3. I mean, these guys are flying down residential roads. You got two things running at the same time, buddy. You got two windows running. <clears throat> but, um... So while, while these guys are doing this, the neighbors are aware of it. So they start filming because they probably do it. See, look at it. See everybody. And then so this car fucking starts smoking. The guy's engine started smoking and he pulled it into his driveway. But look at everybody standing out here with their fucking cameras. They all realize not like, oh my God, cop, this guy is a piece of shit. Not one cop in sight. That's crazy to me. But it's so funny. Everybody's like, world star. That car's going to blow up. Everybody's assuming that car's going to explode. So they're filming it. Oh, shit, dude. So this guy was uh, driving his car so fast and so hard that it caught on fire. That's why I'll never buy a fucking Ferrari, by the way. I, uh, My people should not be designing things. <laughs> I, saw a, uh, I saw a 918 that with the Dubai plates on it. Yeah, and, um they had the nerve to uh, put the silver metallic paint on it. So not only they bought an expensive car, they put the real, like, it made the car look chrome. Oh, I've seen that. Justin Bieber had one of those. Oh, he had a chrome like, Fisker. Uh, <clears throat> How do I know that? Why? Because I'm friends with Jamie. Jamie tells me these things. The cops in, shout out to the cops in uh, Beverly Hills, because 
they nice, you know. I was coming through there. A part fell off my 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 Porsche that holds the alternator and the and the serpentine belt together. So the car would just lose power. Uh. Right? So I'm riding through Beverly Hills. I was going to the summit. Uh the it's a place on Mulholland Drive. I was staying there and um I'm in Beverly Hills with no lights on, just driving up the street. And um cops pull us over and I uh, turn off the car. I can't turn off the car. Why not? Because it's not going to come back on. If I turn it off, this is, they was like, what? Like, Let me explain to you what's going on. It's a piece of me. I'm trying to explain to them, the mechanics. They was like, no. I was like, I'll get out the car. and You can do whatever you need to do to me. But if this car cuts off here, it's going to be here. And uh, I had my, my African homeboy who I just went to DR with, with me, right? And uh, he was like, hey, officer, what's going on? He's like, I'm going to show you how powerful this thing is that I do. And he was like, look, I work for the RS. Uh, I work for the government. from visiting from Washington, D.C. I work for the national government, RS, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I got The a- IRS? Is yeah, that what he's saying? The IRS. They should have shot him on sight. So everybody's afraid. Apparently. Of the IRS? Yeah. yeah, they're terrified. So he pulled the badge out, yada, yada, yada. And then he was like, okay, you free to go. And then I was in somebody's <laughs> shrubs and uh you know, uh, there was a cop right there. He was like, sir, you don't have to be so close in, like, in the bushes. And I remember looking at him like, but sometimes it's fun having your face in the bush. And I smiled, and he was just like, he was like, just step away. Just go. <laughs> <laughs> they never get my jokes, you know what I mean? Well, there's tents. And uh, so, They're yeah. pulling people over with no lights that say they can't shut their car off. They don't know what kind of crazy shit you're doing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, oh. you pull up a, a, to a dude, there's two dudes, one of them's, from the uh, from Africa, who works for the IRS, the other one's a comedian with some weird jokes. Their car's running. They can't they can't shut the car off. It's something to talk about in of the shit. office, right? But a lot of shit could be going on here. Like whenever you deal with someone who won't, they, they don't have their lights on. That's weird. Like, okay, why does this guy not have his yeah. fucking lights on? And then you deal with another thing. He won't shut his car off. What? What? Yeah. What's going on? Like, there's a bunch of shit that's supposed to happen. One, you're supposed to have your lights on, you get pulled over, you shut your car off, you shut your ID. Everything's supposed to go according to plan. So you're throwing in all these new loopholes. <laughs> so improv game we doing. <laughs> no lights, okay? Why aren't you have lights? I can't. Doesn't work. Alternator. Got an issue. All right, shut your car off. Shut, I can't. Yeah. can't. Shut a car off. It stays here. I'm going to tell you some true stuff. I moved here. I had a Honda Prelude. I put a timer belt in it. Fourth generation. Drove it here. I used to get pulled over all the time, black on black. I would I lived in Inglewood, and I realized like all the time I get my car searched, put in the back of police cars, and I talked to a cop, and he told me about proximity and how criminals operate, and when they wake up they get descriptions in the morning, and if you fit that description they're gonna profile you, and that's when I realized like oh I'm living in the wrong neighborhood, driving the wrong vehicle, so when I got the 944 I get what I call corporate old white man colors, that champagne or that boring gray. And I just drive, and I'll have really no problems. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's what I—that's the things like how my mind works. The, sometimes to figure out that pattern and be like, okay, if this is what is getting pulled over and stuff, then I need to, you know, I don't know if it's the survival in you or what, but it's like I have to shift. And some people really be like, I don't feel like I should shift like that, but I'm like, you know, the cops—the cops will be like, slow down. I messed up in the. I was doing 60 on Franklin one time, just enjoying my life. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> <laughs> white women jogging and everything down the street. I'm like, this ain't bad. You know, life is great. I tell jokes. And the cops were just like, sir, can you slow down? And I remember putting my hand out the window like, no problem, officer. And that was it. 
And I was like, this is amazing right here. <laughs> but I also experienced another white privilege thing when I had a, I had an accident in the, in the 944, and it was a Latino people, and a guy got out of the car, the cop showed up, and I was sitting on the car. The old white guy, he was like, sir, is this your car? And I was like, yes, sir. And he was like, okay, everything's going to be okay. And then he went and he licked into the Mexican people. To where I got uncomfortable to where I almost said something to He was yelling cop. at the Mexican people, oh, assuming he was, he they was were. going over like, this ain't regulation. And where's the paperwork for this? And asking them all the time, let me see your ID. When did you get this? And and I, me coming from Georgia, not used to, I'm used to saying black people treat like that, but no other culture. Uh. So to, I almost stepped in, but something was like, hold on. Don't. And I remember sitting on the car like, damn. Feeling guilty, like this is white white guilt feels like. <laughs> but I'm still on the other side, right? Right. So I'm just letting it ride, like, you know. That's funny. But like I said before, it's like I, I, I when you in that place where you see different stuff, it shapes you somehow. But you, it gets that understanding, like. I think with a lot of cops, something can happen too, where they pull over so many people that are illegal immigrants, they start yeah. getting upset. They start getting upset at it, and they treat it like disproportionately, you know. I've seen uh, I've but, seen a lot of fucking people that are driving illegally in Los Angeles. That's true. I got rear-ended by a dude. That's right. I remember that. Yeah, this dude is no driver's license. <laughs> but I knew a lot of white people who were driving illegally, and they don't worry about it. Sure. Yeah, nothing happens. Oh, you do if you get pulled over though. If they find out, if a cop finds out you're driving illegally, you're in trouble. Yeah, for sure. Everybody, no matter who you are, well, if they the, find that's out, true. They, they'll tell your car. But the odds of you getting pulled over is kind of slim. Um, um, yes, the odds are greater if you are black or if you're Mexican of getting pulled over. I would say that's probably definitely true. Cut to me getting out the car like this, and right. they was like, "No, not you." And you like, "Oh, I was just, I was just stretching," you know. Yeah, but. You know, it's it's what it is to me. You know what I mean? But Look, so, I wouldn't want to be a fucking cop. Oh no, no. I think me honestly, I think that their job is too nerve too nerve wracking for the regular person. And I, I think so too. And they don't make enough money to go through the mental part of it. Exactly, it affects their relationships and their family life. But Suicides. Yeah, a lot of cops commit suicide. A lot of cops feel despair. It's a crazy job. It's a crazy job. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. They got to go. Like I said, they got to go. They got a reputation. Cops have almost a reputation now of a of a, a black man. To where it's like, they like, people look at them like, oh. People are prejudiced against cops. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, sh-. to me, it's like, oh, shit. It's this true. This is ironic. Um, and they have to go in those situations. They have to go to the hood mm-hmm. as with that reputation. Yep. And with that's that a, outfit on. And that's a scary thing. Yeah, I mean, if your outfit is being represented by people that are doing fucked up things like those videos that we were talking about earlier, yeah. that's your outfit. That's the team you're on. So you have to go and you know that these people are going to see you and look yeah. at you and know that you represent that team that they've been watching on these videos. And I'm from a place where the cops look like you. So the, the cops that treated you fucked up look like you. That's even darker. Well, they were dirty, so it's a different ball game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but that's what it is. It's so much... That isn't understood outside of the videos that are being. Do you think there's a way on stage that you can relay a lot of this stuff that you're talking about? So I feel like um, if you could figure out a way to make humor out of the difference between your background growing up and what you're experiencing now, 
and just your own your own unique perspective. Yeah, I'm talking. I'm slowly talking about it. Yeah, like you can ask Tosh when I worked with Tosh. My opening joke, I walk on stage and be like, "Not all Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Some niggas should die." And that's a shot. Just a fir- oh, in thirty seconds, I would get applause break in thirty seconds at the at the tenth time of that. And by that, I'm telling them, I explain the story of the protest when traffic is being held up, and I'm driving with my gas light on. Yeah. And I'm like, this don't if this my car dies, I'm a hostage in a situation I don't want to be in. And then feeling sorry for that black guy uh, who's stuck in traffic and don't know why, and every white person looking at him. And he like, this ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm just on my way to Orange County so I can fuck this white girl. <laughs> that was the bit. But all of it's based on truth. Right. You know what I mean? On truth. I felt like when those Black Lives Matter protesters were shutting down highways, I'm like, fucking white people. It was white people that are trying too hard to be down yeah. with Black Lives Matter. So they took it to the highway and shut down the highway. So I knew this one dude who's like a super, super lefty guy. And he uh, he was a part of the Black Lives Matter shutting down highways, and I was like, "What are you doing, man? Out out in Berkeley, but super super liberal, crazy people." It, it is a hierarchy of black people, just like a hierarchy of white people. And me and Jamar neighbors, we say some shit like, "You know, real niggas don't give a fuck about black issues," which is true because they're in survival mode. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, so things like you know education and shit like that don't really matter who even to me like i didn't talk about politics growing up so i really don't care about politics that's how i feel about it like i still gotta grind either way do you care at all like when you when you're looking at hillary clinton and donald trump like what's your thought you just don't think about i think i think and i said this before before everything got crazy trump got crazy uh i understand sometimes where he's coming from through educational purposes i understand Mm -hmm. republican mindset you know what i mean right because um, I was taught to export businesses and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. all that makes sense to me. But I don't think, I think this part is is for ratings. I see it as a show. Mm. And I think I think Trump is like a, uh, a, a character. I definitely think they want everybody to vote for Hillary. I think they're going to lead people that way. Like you lead water to go down a certain ravine. Mm. And then Hillary is going to make... Uh, Cause her personality ain't the best. Like it ain't like a Barack Obama. People be like, oh, I like this lady, but I think once she get in, she's You're being gonna... too kind. Her personality is terrible. Well, I, you know, I think she's gonna make some adjustments on the low that's gonna really fuck up people. She does things that make me super nervous too. There's no, think... a thing of uh, you ever see the video of her where she was talking about uh, uh, Gaddafi. Mm-mm. She 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 was laughing about how uh, she, I think she says we came we saw he died <laughs> yeah and it was like off camera like she I don't think she realized that she was being filmed or this yeah. is just not her behaving like I'm gonna play it for you this this we came th- we saw no. he died <laughs> yes we came. We saw he died. <laughs> what is basically? And see, she's also looking off at someone else, like for their approval. She's not even looking at the woman yeah. she's talking to necessarily. It's just that's a weird thing to joke about the enormity, the magnitude of assassinating a foreign leader, whether he's a dictator, dictator or not. Like there's a lot going on there. You are overthrowing the ruler of a government even though he's a terrible ruler, and you are now opening up 
that government and those people that were being suppressed by that government, you were opening them up to the turmoil of establishing a new leader. That's true. And that's where it is right now. So when you see someone who is running for president and they are joking around about a scenario that has taken place that they were a part of, she was a part of, and that scenario is now directly connected to horrific tragedies yeah. and this chaos, that that is an ISIS stronghold now. Well Libya is an ISIS stronghold. Yeah. So well, I, I uh, that 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 situ- that Libya situation is not not um yeah I can't discuss that on Libya yeah yeah well it's none none of those things are good you know whenever you have a, a brutal dictator like Iraq yeah Saddam Hussein it's not good when the world is entertaining brutal dictators yeah. there's a brutal dictator that's in in charge of these people they're they're you know it's not it's not fair. It's dangerous. Yeah. And we have to interact with this person in some way. That's I love a country where it's a curfew. And I think that's going to happen here, but I just love a country where it was a Dominican curfew. Dominican Republic has a curfew? For women at a certain time. And they would, if a chick was out by herself, they just put her straight in the van. What? Yeah. And if Dominican a dude, Republic has that? And if a dude was out and his lights wasn't right and he's on a motorbike, the cop got on the bike with him and rode him with him to jail. He had to take the cop to jail. Whoa. Uh... So, yeah, it's certain things like you know that is like wow that I that I see like could happen here, and as far as like that video to me that's how people power act. When I say like real, like rich or successful, powerful people like mm-hmm. that, and poor people, I always tell people they don't give a fuck. The people in the middle are the ones that's timid and like we should do this for animals and that. But those people and poor people, like if you listen to their jokes, they don't give a fuck. Just like guys I met who talked about man i shot three times man i shot the first time didn't go through and he started hobbling i was like oh shit and the gun jammed i got nervous like these are the stories so i had the ability to sit with both and just hear the 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 and it ain't it ain't you know my comedy is based off this too so i gotta be like one of these people too you know talking to somebody who's murdered someone with a gun is laughing and joking around about it's got to be fucked up but it's like this guy didn't die but he did get hit you know right but you hear is like somebody telling this story and they telling how bad it was because you know they live they live it and it was over something simple like i told you next time i see you that this was gonna go down you know what i mean right and it, it, it went down you know over something simple but i always say like the people like that at the top and people at the bottom don't give a fuck and that's and if you look at the politics now you got trump and you got his supporters them rednecks and shit that people say they don't like. Those are like top and bottom people to me. Yeah. And pattern wise. Um, but I think, yeah, if Hillary get in, I think they're trying to lure everybody her way. And then she's going on the low sign some document that's really going to fuck people up down the line. You Those so? are my predictions. Why do you think she's going to do that? You know how you For find profit. out. Profit. You know how you find out later on, like, oh man, that document that president signed three mm-hmm. years ago fucked people up. Right. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot of those. Yeah. So I think it's going to be something like that. Well, she's gotten away with so much already. That's what I'm saying. She's gotten away with so much already. The idea that she's going to stop once she gets in office is ridiculous. Because she broke so many fucking laws with her email server. All the lies that she told about Benghazi all throughout her career. There's there's many websites that document all the times they've caught her lying about like pretty important issues. 
The idea that she's going to stop doing that once she becomes president is crazy. She's gotten away with it. She lies when she talks about getting caught in lies. Yeah. Like when she talked about the FBI um, having this long interview with her about her email server, there's a direct video that shows like the direct comparison between what she said and what he said. What she said and what he said. It's horrible. It's horrible to watch. Like, how is this person even qualified to run for office? Forget about the fact that everybody wants a woman to be the, the new president. I get it. Yeah, it'll be fun for everybody. Yeah, let's let's do it. This is not the one. It's folks. fun for six months until that new car smell gone. Well, this is, she's not the one. This is not the one. You don't want this. I mean, the only thing good is that she's a long-term politician. Yeah. So she understands the business. The only thing bad is that she's a long-term politician. She knows the business. Yeah. So the, both things are bad. She knows the business. Yeah. You're right. You the said business it right. sucks. And people don't understand it as a business. You know what I mean? They mostly get caught up in it. Exactly. But I definitely think, uh, I think people, like we all should, we could find a better way to do things better i'm hoping and not put power in like church and government and these things it's just hard it's got such a stranglehold yeah the idea that you have to register as either a democrat or republican to vote on the primaries the primaries decide which candidate is going to represent these parties it's a charade yeah. it's never been more obvious that it's a charade and i fully never learned learned it because i look i look at the bigger picture and the pattern so you know um well, Byron, we're going to come back in four years, and we'll see if you're right about Hillary Clinton, if she fucked up. Because you remember just a little while ago, everybody was saying that that uh, Hillary Clinton, that the FBI was going to drop some bombshell, and uh, that more information was going to come out about the horrible things that she's involved with and she's done, and then she's going to probably be indicted, and then she's going to wind up pulling out. She's not going to be running for president. Yeah. That was like the big rumors just a few months ago. Now, Trump has gotten so fucked up. He's done so much stupid shit and said so much stupid yeah. shit that now, like, the Harvard Republican Club, for the first time in over 100 years, is coming out against the nominee. The uh, There's, like, a bunch of different prominent politicians that have come out against him. Like, you don't remember that. Usually by the time someone gets to a point where they're running for president, they're the Republican nominee, whether it's Mitt Romney or anyone else, like, they're kind of embraced. You know, like, okay, we've got the nominee, everything's in order. Let's move forward. Yeah. That's not happening now. Mm. Even even with the election just a couple of months away, people are freaking out and they got to go, we can't have this guy. Yeah. This guy can't be our guy. Well, what happened in DR, they they got a, they got a lady, you know, um, in charge and it was some sneaky stuff like that. But when she got in, she started doing the curfews and she took the Haitians and kicked them out. You know, she gave them, to be fair, she was like, you got this amount of money, you can stay. But Haitians, oh, yeah, so it got, and guys were showing me scars that allowed them to stay into in the DR. So, yeah, it got real for me over there because I finally talked to the, these dudes that used to be kids asking for money, and now they're adults asking for money. Like, <laughs> what's going on? And they started breaking it down. Like, yeah, to see a group of people just, like, kicked out of a country like that. And it's like, man, maybe we maybe we should be glad we're a lost tribe. But that could easily be, you know. You it know. can always be worse, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And they look up to us. They was like, you know, it was like, look, regardless of what's happening, I know, this guy, I know black people getting killed by the cops, but you still got a chance to be something. And I couldn't even say nothing like. And meanwhile, North Korea looks up to them. North Korea, you know, at least they don't have to deal with dear leader. They don't have to uh, 
cry for hours and hours when his dad died. If they don't cry correctly, they get put in jail for six months and forced to work in labor camps. They have labor camps in North Korea where people are literally starving to death and they sick dogs on them and the dogs eat them. Yeah. I mean, this is Game of Thrones type shit and it's going on right now. This guy who he grew up in a slave camp. He was a child of someone who was convicted uh, of some sort of a crime and forced to work in these slave camps. Grew up in this camp, did not know the rest of the world, did not know that there was a whole world out there and somehow or another escaped. But he talked about turning his own family in. Like they, they had him, they have everybody narking on everybody, turned his whole family in. It, it, in his description of the different levels of torture and treatment, like different levels of slavery, yeah. you know, like what you're capable of doing when you're almost dead, what you're capable of doing, like they have it like classified, like what jobs you get dependent upon how, how close you are to death. Fucking terrible, man. It's crazy. Like, you, yeah, you hear these stories, you meet people that's like one, six degrees away from that. Yeah. You know? Well, that's what's crazy is that it's 2016, and where we're living here in Los Angeles is super progressive at the front line of culture. We feel like, well, hey, everything's looking up. Everything's getting great. Not if you're in North Korea. Mm-mm. You, you fucked up. The world fucked you, and you got you got a. this is where you, you came out into the world. Yeah. That's your spot. Or Namibia, what we were talking about before, an inch of rainfall in three years. You're like, fuck. Thirsty. Fuck. You got all that Kool-Aid and only an inch of water coming. If they even get Kool-Aid over there. I don't there. think they get Kool-Aid. <laughs> no. They're fucked. That's I mean, how my mind process They're starving. That's, uh, there's not a lot of food there. All that peanut butter they're eating and they can't. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> they shoot animals and shit. That's all they can do. Byron Bowers, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, that this was has fun, been man. amazing, man. Glad this is we a good did this. experience. It was cool. And uh, check out Byron if you're ever in Los Angeles or if you're ever anywhere. He's performing. He's fucking hilarious. What's your, you got a website? ByronBowersLive.com. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, at Byron Bowers. Snapchat, Byron Bowers Live. Instagram? Uh, Instagram, Byron Bowers. Uh, love Instagram. Me by too. The way. All right. Beautiful. Uh, thank you all. Thanks, brother. It's been fun. Yay! Have a good whatever. Whatever we do. <laughs>